is the review process broken? Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me is a mister who's pointing his finger at a screen, blaming our other host. No, no. I'm kidding. (laughs) I think our audio glitched. I don't know. Yeah, Chris, did you start making the noise for the intro? Uh, I mean, it's definitely possible. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that just means that our intro is uh, infectious. Saul Bridges here with Lucky Episode 233, and alongside me is Mr. Oh, Chris Figs. I remember this time. You did it. You did the thing. <laughs> you know, what's going to be hilarious about this episode, you're going to hear me in the in the thing. I'm so used to it being cut. Like, it's not part of the thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could cut that audio out, and I normally do. But like last week, it. I don't know if you saw me actually edit you in with a slap in your butt. Because <laughs> I 100% did <laughs> right, in video watch form. This. this is going to be hilarious. So if you miss that and you don't normally watch video and you just want a good chuckle, just watch like the first 30 seconds. Just destroy our YouTube algorithm. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Speaking of YouTube, if you like the show, like and subscribe and share it with your friends. Uh, whether or not you're on a video format with YouTube or if you just listen on podcast services, slap a review down. Let your friends know. Give it a like. Whatever you can do to help it. But... We're going to get into the show uh, the right way, as we always do. Uh, if you are new to us, uh, welcome. Hope you enjoy the show. But, Chris, I'm going to lob it towards you, man. What you been playing this week? Um, I, I know finished, the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I finished Death Stranding, yeah. and I've been playing Far Cry 6. <laughs> Have you now? Oh, did you enjoy yes. that, Saul? <laughs> um, Saul just went back and watched the, the video edit. That's <laughs> Good times. So um, I want to talk about two things there because yeah, those yeah. one of those games I've played and the other one I haven't. So let's start with the positive. I know that you have been absolutely loving Death Stranding as the fast, past few weeks of this show I've talked about. Uh, now that you've beat it, how do you feel about it? Um, it's top three of last gen, like by Ooh, far. So, so what's, your, what's your other two that are in that top three? Persona 5 Royal, Days Gone, Death Stranding. Okay. So but are you kind of struggling right now as to where you feel like Days Gone, where all three of those games actually lie in order for you? No, not really. It's Persona 5 Royal, and then like 50 steps down, and then it's Days Gone, and then Death Stranding. <laughs> How many steps between Days Gone and Death Stranding? Like half. <laughs> half a step? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's That means that Death Stranding uh, as a new experience really came in clutch there for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, listen, I love everything about Death Stranding. I think the gameplay is significantly better than the story. The gameplay is much better than the story. You hear that, Kiki? <laughs> <laughs> he said it with some stink on his voice, too. So it was just like, I want you to know. I never look into the camera. And I'm looking directly into the camera. You are. Right now. I, it looks gameplay like you're peering into my soul because I'm looking at the screen. <laughs> Kiki, look, <laughs> I'm looking directly at the camera for you as well. Now, yeah. um, so coming off of it, you know, one of the weird things that people always talk about with Death Stranding and why I think that the idea of giving a uh, giving a trial is a really good idea is that mm-hmm. Death Stranding is a very odd game. I think it's hard to convince someone that it's an amazing experience outside yeah. looking in. Uh, so if you had to kind of sell the game to someone who has never played it because they've been thinking that they might be turned off by the way that it's shown, how would you sell? Like, what would you suggest to someone as a reason to go through and play it? Like if you had to if you had to uh, quick sell the game. It's hard because I I really like the story. I'm sure later down the line we can really talk about it, but I think the story's kind of shallow, personally. 
Um, so for me, it's really just I really like walking across that map. <laughs> I really do. Like I don't like I was telling you guys as I'm going for the platinum now. I wanted to build the zipline network. And I didn't realize that there was a limit on building because I spent my 50-hour playthrough never building anything. I just walked and drove everywhere. So um, that's how I would sell. I just think it's very relaxing. I've watched four seasons of Chuck while playing this game. Like it's it's (laughs) awesome. So here's the thing. I, I get, and I mean, it's definitely something we can we should talk about kind of more in depth later when we're not worrying about uh, spoiling or anything like that. Maybe in the right context, mm-hmm. uh, we were discussing potentially coming back and doing a spoiler chat for that. At least you and Saul, maybe all three of us. Um, but when kind of saying like you're looking at the story being shallow, um, I mean, clearly, I know that you liked the story. The moments when the story was firing on all cylinders for you. Um, but it's interesting to me, I guess, because of the way you were playing, it facilitated your ability to kind of multitask that way. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're just walking and driving long stretches and you're not really finding ways to strategically speed up your um, your deliveries to where you can finish the game and, you know, run more like 30 hours as opposed to 50. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, for me, it, it was more like I mean, I was I would pause my TV show when I was done walking and there was a cutscene coming in. Um, so it's not like I wasn't paying attention to the story. It just, for me, I was spending so much time just walking and then it was like, oh, I'm going to the wind farm and there's a lost cargo 20 meters over there and a hundred meters down the road and that kind of stuff. So I just spent my time picking stuff up and just being who I imagined Sam would actually be. Um, I don't okay. know. Did you want me to expand on the story? How, why? No, no, no. You don't have to. You know, you don't have to expand about the story because I because I think that regardless of of how anybody feels about the story and depending on what you actually end up kind of honing in as being the thing that you love about Death Stranding, I don't want to ruin that for anybody. Realistically, no. You know? My, I think the only thing I'll say is that I predicted the story to almost perfect accuracy like a week and a half ago. Yeah, I also predicted the story <laughs> fairly early on. And I don't, well, okay, I don't want to say all of it, right? But like the main crux of the story yeah. was predicted fairly early on in the experience for me. Now, mm-hmm. some of the other stuff, no, of course, like, more like lore as to why we're here and expanding on that. And of course, I didn't really guess all that, but you know, yeah. that's a different thing. Uh, but you know, the weird thing about being able to guess a story is that if the journey to get there is still good enough, Absolutely. you don't yeah, care. Yeah. yeah. My thing so. was it just it felt like a lot of more surface level like it it felt like one of those things where you look at an ocean you're like oh that's going to be so deep I don't know if I can stand in there and then you get in and it doesn't even reach your knees that's kind of how the story felt to me where it, it feels really deep but then it's like ah oh, okay I guess yeah. this wasn't as deep as I thought I don't know that I disagree with that. I think that there's a lot of really interesting character stories, but it's a lot of very individual interesting character stories that have a loose connection to each other. And so I think that's not a bad, and I don't even think that that has to be like a a bad thing. It's not, it's not a negative. Yeah. Yeah. But it's definitely different than I think what most people would be outside looking and thinking is that here's this game where I walk and then have to get into crazy deep amounts of lore and story and stuff. And you're right. It's it's not not that. that complicated. It's not that hard to understand. It is odd and very unique. But, you know, kind of just comes on where you're coming from. Um, I, uh, so the other game you've been playing, yes, Far Cry Far 6, mm-hmm. um, is now the time to get into the fact that, as far as I could tell, neither of us really like Far Cry 6. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. I, w- I will say, 
I spent more time with it yesterday when I wasn't being dragged back to Death Stranding. Because sure. Saul was right. By the time I got to like Mama and Lockney, I was in. I didn't do any other side yeah. stuff. I just went for it. Um, but so I finished that and I played, I think, like two, three hours of Far Cry yesterday. And I didn't dislike it as much. But I will say I still skipped this cutscenes. I think the story sucks and I don't care about any of these characters. <laughs> Is even Giancarlo Esposito. He, I, I think he's bad in this game. Actually, <laughs> well, I, yeah, the thing about like the specifically the the Castillo part of this and, and Giancarlo Esposito's part within it, I don't know that he's bad. I, I genuinely think it might be the order in which they chose to tell this story makes me not care or find much weight in what he's doing. It gets better as you keep going like i'm not sure where you actually are but by the time i got to the end of the first or it's where i could go to the mainland and mm-hmm. actually start there i was like oh, i'm i'm like one percent under like okay maybe he's an all right villain but the rest of it's just like okay this is just like a cardboard cut out of evil person doing evil things right and there's no real reason as to why i think that this game has the potential for a really interesting story and i say that in the sense of not that it missed it I think it's it, the potential for the beginning being more interesting is far more possible because I've experienced that. But by the time the story draws to an end, it might be amazing. But I find that right now, this game has to deal with a thing that most of the other Far Cries don't have to deal with. Normally, you're coming in to something as the first time. And it's like it's new to your character, and so it's new to you. And that game presents it in that way. And I think Far Cry 6 is weighed down by this fact that Danny, our, our our character here, first of all, I think they made a poor dis- a choice by making it to where you could be a, a male or a female. I think mm-hmm. they really needed to stick with a single character and then really lean heavily into why that character has certain character traits and physical traits or whatever it is that tells them and informs why they feel the way they do. But I also think that seeing these people who have clearly been entrenched in this for so long and us coming in the middle of it, unlike the normal Far Cry stories, what they're used to writing we're already in the thick of it. We're mm-hmm. coming in in the thick of it. Whereas like, think Far Cry 5. It's okay, these cultists have kind of been around for a while, but this is a real big moment of their push. And then you right. think about Far Cry 3. It's like, okay, there's people who are vacationing on an island and guess what? They're getting, this is their first time getting popped into this thing where they're kidnapped and this is what's going on here. And Far Cry 4, this is Ajay's first time coming back to his home and realizing what it was like. So, I just think that this game has a very different way of dealing with it. And there's that, but then there's something that Saul, whenever he came over and watched it, is definitely true. This game, like every Ubisoft game, is slowly getting for me every time I play it. I don't doesn't mean they're bad. It's just it takes me out of it. It has this Ubisoft ubiquitousness to it. Mm-hmm. Pun not intended necessarily. Um, but you know, you have this thing where it feels like every other Ubisoft game that I've played. Like Saul was watching me play it for not even five minutes and was like, that just looks like Breakpoint. It looks exactly like a copy of Breakpoint. It looks like everything they've made. It's too it's too bland. And it does not it does not look like a next gen game. That's also no, true, which I don't doesn't. think has to be a big death nail, but it does that game looks rough. Sometimes. It does at a seventy dollar price point. It was sixty, right? Yeah, it was sixty. I didn't for the PS5 version? Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, that's better then. Yeah, it is better. If it was 70, then yeah, a little bit more. I mean, yeah. it runs. Okay. It runs well when you're playing it. But Chris, have you noticed that the cutscenes drop frames? Oh, I guess you've been skipping. I was going to say, I haven't noticed because I haven't watched them. <laughs> yeah, it drops frames like crazy. But you know, all that aside, it's really that I'm not drawn to do anything in the game. No. Like, I either. don't even find like, okay, Chris, you said something in the Discord the other day that I think mm-hmm. is interesting. And I do mostly agree with it that the Far Cry for the longest time has had one of the most consistent. Uh, identities brand identities yeah. and game to game it's pretty consistent even i mean mm-hmm. even when five shook a lot of stuff up it still felt like far cry yeah i mean i you know i missed some of the things from the previous entries but it wasn't like enough to make me go this doesn't feel like far cry and that's still true here <clears throat> but i don't know if i'm just kind of losing it because like you know i liked five if you go back and listen i liked five a lot when i first played mm-hmm. it and I think it was just because I was, you know, in that mood. And then, like, not long after, I started thinking and thinking. I'm like, man, five is not really that good of a game. No. And by the time that I'm at now, I'm like, I don't really like five. I had fun with it, but my fun was just tied to something, you know, a little different. It wasn't what I really would have wanted out of a Far Cry game, despite the fact that I feel like it is true to the brand identity for the most part. Um, I think for me with Far Cry. Yeah, I was talking to Ayers, and and he was talking about how it doesn't have an identity. And I think the crux of the issue with this game is that if if I gave you a copy of Far Cry 3 and I was like, play this, and then I gave you a copy of Far Cry 6 and I said, play this, you would lose no, you wouldn't skip a beat. There would you would there would be nothing in these games that's like oh I don't know what this is you would this is Far Cry it's the same game as three which is the same game as four which is the same game as five which is close to New Dawn and is absolutely nothing like Primal which is the best one on last gen so, and also Primal is the only one that actually shakes up the formula quite a bit exactly. and it still manages to feel like a Far Cry game exactly <laughs> yeah so I, that's what my problem is and I think that's the issue with six and even five is where the games are. So so close to being the same that they're they're the same, which is a I think an issue um, because they don't you get fatigued on it very quickly. Like oh, I just did this, even though it's in a different place and a different you know character, it feels the same. Well, yeah, right. And then you have this thing where the the lack of originality is what starts smacking you. Because I like I told somebody I audibly groaned at my TV when I got to the drug field and I had a flamethrower yeah. and I had to catch it on fire. I said, "Haven't I done this?" 18 yeah. times in this well, series we Stop. talked about we talked about this when we were playing phasmo and danny literally goes that felt familiar <laughs> and i said to him like why why does that feel familiar to you feels familiar to me because i've done it six times why do you why does it feel familiar to you do you burn fields of pot all the time what is wrong with you this isn't funny yeah <laughs> just, i know it's break the fourth wall kind of stuff but i don't know because i was already annoyed at that being there like and not even like in the game right you could have given me a few hours before you gave me the quintessential far cry task you yeah. know what i mean like come on dude like okay look a good example right of, of how to do a joke the right way far cry 5 for all the things i don't like about it do you remember mm-hmm. that you had to climb exactly one radio tower yeah at the yeah. very beginning of the game and there's a joke in there about how don't worry you only have to do this once yeah yeah that's a way to joke mm-hmm. about something that you've done in the past while also having the solution of it. Okay, now, but now you're not doing it anymore. It's our yeah. final hurrah with that. Instead, this game is just like, burn a drug field, and you're probably going to do it 18 more times, big yeah. buddy. And the thing is, like, they could do stuff like... Even that joke 
is like a microcosm of the whole game, right? Where it's just lazy. Because <laughs> if they had done that and then it was like, oh, you're burning these pot fields and you get high and all of a sudden it's like, hey, it turns into the Far Cry 3 field, you know, and the the dubstep is popping up, the Skrillex soundtrack is playing. And then it was like, that felt weird. I've never, that would have been like, that's funny. It's that's more cool. tongue in cheek. Yeah. Instead, it was this completely separate, not even the same type of thing you're burning. You're burning weed in three and you're burning poison tobacco in six. That cures like, cancer. Also, I've been trying familiar. to figure out this situation. Well, it causes cancer. If you get touched by it, that's what I gathered. Well, yeah, but in terms of what uh, Castillo is marking it as, the Vivero or whatever, is a can- like the, the, the opening cutscene, I'm pretty sure sells it as a cancer cure. Yeah, and yet we're being right. told that to grow it, they pour chemicals on it that it cause actively cancer. cause cancer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's just a very lazy game that I think I'll get through because sometimes in the right mood, it, it's fun to play. Because in the end, Far Cry is fun stealth killing people with you know long-range weapons and being over fun but nothing else matters <laughs> nothing else is fun uh guys one second i hate to tell you all i got my daughter today because uh, my wife is out brunching Kyrie, do you need something i'm not sure hey you boys uh talk however you want i'm gonna go help my daughter real quick i'll be right back okay enjoy so Chris, I've been playing Metal Gear Solid 5. Have you? We've been talking so much about Metal Gear Solid. I hop back on Metal Gear Solid 5. Great game. And have been playing. I'm only into, like, I'm like into the second real main mission of Chapter Mm 1 after tackling the three side ops you get. And I just, I love that game so much. I'm actually planning on beating it this time, though. Because I played it it before? No, I played over 100 hours that game and I never beat it. I got to. So, So did you get spoiled on the ending? Yeah. Uh, yes. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say, but I'd like to hear um, how you felt about that. Yeah, I got spoiled on the ending, but in a way that um, I don't know, like the full details, other than like, well, I mean, I do. I put the I put everything together in terms of oh, in terms of um, the story, like how how it concludes. But yeah, like I got to the part the first time I ever played it. I got to a part in a story where it felt like it should have started coming down to a close, but then it mm-hmm. just kept going. Yeah, um, which when has you're in the back with, of a car. <laughs> yes, absolutely, and that, that that plus the battle at the after, I'm like, okay, this is this is getting towards the end of the game. No, there's still so much, and I played like ten to twelve hours past that. I think maybe a little bit less, and. Um, Another solid five. Yeah, and I started up like six months ago to do the same thing, but something came out and took my attention. So now, without really much, I do plan though. I plan on finishing up this. Um, at the same time, I'm still tackling Dragon Quest Eleven, but I plan on finishing up this and then early November starting The Last of Us Remastered, mm-hmm. and then getting into The Last of Us Two. And then by the end of September, at least Thanksgiving week, starting Death Stranding. Okay. So I, I actually started up The Last of Us 2, uh, and I was immediately, the opening of that, they said something, and I was like, is that is that an absolute? Like, did they actually say that in the first game? And I'm like, I don't remember enough of the first game in terms of the story to be able to uh, know that for sure or not, so I'm going back and playing it. 
But I also used to play The Last of Us one yearly. Yeah, but I say it was your seasonal game for yeah, a and, hot minute. Every time like October would roll around the corner, I'd play it. But I haven't done that in like three years. It's been maybe even longer than that. Maybe even four years. Yeah. Well, see, that was like and, and The Last of Us is a little easier pill to swallow in that regard, but you still get to this point where it's like you have other stuff going on. You're like, I don't really know if I want to dedicate that time anymore. Cause I used to play Kingdom Hearts one yearly. And yeah. that's just twenty four hours that I'm like, Dad, do I really want to do that when I could spend twenty four hours playing not Far Cry 6, um, but yeah, uh, I pretty much have just done Far Cry 6 and Alan Wake, and it's interesting because the two games are very different for me. I feel like I don't really love or hate. I'm just kind of indifferent about the mechanics of Alan Wake. I find them to be a, kind of clumsy, uh, but the story and characters are so interesting. And then Far Cry 6 feels fine mechanically and gunplay speaking, but I don't give a crap about the story or the characters. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. Uh, but Chris, I don't know if you noticed, I downloaded Prey the other day. I did notice, yes. And it has taken everything in my power to not just forsake every game I'm playing and just start playing Prey. <laughs> so that's where I'm at right now. We'll see what happens. I think I'm probably going... I'm, I'm not to say probably. I, I'm definitely going to ride Alan Wake through to the end. Mm. I'm, I may give one more couple hour gaming stint to far cry and if it doesn't pull me in i think i'm just i'm jumping abandoning ship i just i don't think i care enough i want to give it the chance but man i don't i don't have the time to waste when there's other things that are on my mind you know Mm -hmm. yeah i'm pretty sure once guardians comes out if i'm not into far cry um, i'm just i'm just (laughs) done yeah and guardians is close two weeks i think yeah two ish Ooh. Okay, yeah, we're gonna see what happens. If Far Cry, I'll tell you right now, Far Cry Six makes a miraculous turnaround in my like from my standpoint on it, then I'll be very surprised. Because right now I'm just I don't know, like I'm trying to give it its due, but I honestly could quit playing it right now and I would never miss anything about it, and that's unfortunate. But oh well. All right, guys, I think we're gonna go ahead and head into the news. Um, and this week around, I'm gonna tell you, news is a little interesting. It's it's different. <laughs> there's not a lot of great stuff, but there's been a couple of interesting things. Uh, first thing, a roughly 30-second clip of Elden Ring gameplay supposedly running on an Xbox One has leaked, showcasing a wide open world with forests, mountains, and wastelands that you can seemingly explore at will, as well as the game edition of a compass system situated at the top of the screen as a means to help with navigation, likely. So very much looking like peering into a FromSoft game with more contemporary design elements that we've seen in gaming a lot recently. So, Saul, I know that you had talked about that this had actually been teased or leaked or whatever a while back, and people were thinking it was green screened of Dark Souls footage, which clearly it's not. Pretty much. Because there's well, a there's there is a free jump. The, and, uh, unless that's a modded Dark Souls. So, like, what it was, like, two months ago, three months ago, it was a very, very low resolution of somebody filming on like a computer screen and it was this like it was it was literally the same exact thing of like the pan around the going to the rock and jumping on the rock it was the same thing but people were convinced that it was i'll have to i'll have to show you the the ring city uh dlc has an opening part that has a yellow sky oh and they thought it was kind of um yeah and people thought that that's kind of what it came from and then they just thought that they modded in a jump button or something or hacked in a jump button. But oh, there is literally a part in the opening of The Ring City that has that kind of yellow yeah. back, background. And people thought it was that. And it wasn't until now that like we see it 
clearly, like actually clearly, to see that the background actually had that tree in it because you couldn't even make that out. Um, mm. And then that footage was just gone, like deleted and gone. So whoever whoever leaked that, I have a feeling, is who leaked this. You know, every time that one of those videos come out, I think to myself, modern phones have such good cameras. How are we getting such a low-res version it's of this like, from, like a, from a phone? Like a flip phone in Japan or something. I don't know what they're recording this stuff on. Well, it's either that or like they're recording the video and then sending it through text so it's compressing like crazy and then someone's uploading it. Or like emailing but it to why themselves would you like do six that? different times to get like cut a trail. What's Fun up, fact, please? if they recorded it on an Android phone through a third-party app, it doesn't work because Android phones in third-party apps only screen record your camera. So that's what? why they always look like crap. Yeah, because they can't build out camera functions for every Android phone. So all it really does in the third, like if you make to make a video in TikTok, it just screen records your phone. That's why every video an Android sends is crap. And then you send it to somebody else on Android, and then they send it to somebody else, and that's how this and stuff just, ends the up trail of compression. Yeah, yeah, it's it's getting better with uh, with actually having the Android wide or really it's it's carrier wide text sending where you can actually do all the same things that um, Apple does with iMessage, where it's like you've read it, you've done this, and it doesn't cap out. It's more like it's just messenger through text. Uh, but for a long time, Android was rough, and it still has its issues in that particular mm-hmm. regard. Yeah, I think this looks great, though. You know, I, I'm not a massive fan of the Compass, but I can't say that for certainty. It's, it's like you haven't run around. It's like, do is it needed? Yeah, is that map that big that I need a Compass? Because if it's not, I don't like that. I don't. I, I prefer like Souls games to like drop you in and be like, where do I go? But see, that's the big thing here, right? Is that this is the first open, open world. world? Yeah, not open hub. You know, even right? though it's arguable that. The Ring City has an area in that, that DLC, like from one bonfire down. Uh, it's like a bonfire downstairs through a swamp. It's pretty big. It's it's actually pretty massive. Very wide. Yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, and, and then you look at something like Sekiro. Sekiro is very, I don't want to say it's tunneled because I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's very, the, the map design is made to naturally lead Kinda the player to move forward. toward a certain direction. Yeah, linear forward, mm-hmm. with the exception of one area in that game. There's that area that has like the, the dragon boss. I don't think I got that. Minor thing. spoilers for yeah. anybody who doesn't care about bosses or uh, cares about bosses. I thought about going back since it runs a lot better on next-gen consoles and trying to play it again. But yeah, uh, across the board, I think it looks it looks good. And it's, it's so weird that it looks like... A, it, I see, and I, there's clearly other games too, but I definitely see where the I, them talking about like Breath of the Wild comes in here. There is some of that feel and vibe to the way that you kind of go when you pan the camera across and you see like this disparate region connecting with this disparate yeah. region connecting with this one. Um, I'm obviously excited for it. So I'm. My big question here is that are they actually, you know, when you're dealing with compasses, I always think of like Skyrim and uh, Elder Scrolls being the quintessential early compass games that kind of made this generation really switch to them. But what you come into there is like, is it going to actually put like your objectives on the compass or is it going to be a little more hands off and kind of be like, well, we're going to, you know, you'll be able to figure out and kind of reference the map and figure out which direction it is from you. Kind of like Sea of Thieves, you know, where it's like you go down, you look at the map, you're like, it's northeast of us. And the compass doesn't show anything other than northeast. And you got to keep thinking of, okay, it's got to keep going northeast and I'll find it. Maybe so. Yeah. Or maybe, yeah, I kind of hope it's it's very vague. The the, the question here is that is Elden Ring, a, uh, is Elden Ring a evolution and a growing of them wanting to keep the same game mechanics kind of moving forward but 
open them up and put them wide? Or is this kind of partially their push into making a more commercially normal game? No, from what I saw there, that the, the way that that game looked in just a couple seconds, you can, if you're familiar with it enough, you can see that that looks like a Souls game. That looks like the... the oh, I agree. I'm like, saying like, is this physics. like one of the first little things of like, we'll concede here to make a more commercially normal game? Because you think about a game like Bloodborne, right? It's a, it's a critically acclaimed game and a lot of people love it, but that game still only sold a little over 2 million copies. Now, Dark Souls 3, on the other hand, sold significantly better. Yeah, but, but, but then you're getting into the weeds talking about sales. Oh, yeah, but I just mean like a commercial... That's what I was talking about a second ago. Is this a, is this a, um, a thing of like, we're, we'll concede on this hill so that we have a chance of being a more commercially huge game? Not viable, because viable all depends on budget, right? Bloodborne at 2 million sales made plenty of money because it was budgeted in such a way that they knew what they were making. They've already made five games. <laughs> And they haven't really changed anything. I don't think that's their reasoning behind I, it. I, I don't think they would either. But I just it's, think it's, this uh, is also it's, a very big change up for them while still maintaining a style yeah. that's then in, again, in line with the rest of it. Because I don't think, like, you know, there's nothing similar about Armored Core to any of these other games. No. You know what I mean? But they also haven't made if, an Armored Core game in forever. If I can't Fortnite dance over the god of an elder one in <laughs> Bloodborne 2, then I don't know what they're doing. They're gonna have you yeah. Know, we'll see. I definitely don't think it's them trying to lean towards a more commercially normal style of game, but it is interesting seeing this big open world. And I'm curious as to what their motivation was there. It is, was it like their own? Like, I want we want to challenge ourselves to see if we can make interesting content in a much bigger scale. It's act, it's interesting with FromSoft games and that in general because they they use and recycle a lot of their own assets, mm-hmm. um, like sound effects and stuff like that. Actually, sure. speaking of sound effects, um, for those that are like have been watching Squid Game, uh, there's a Bloodborne sound effect in that opening uh, sequence of Squid Game. That's not surprising, considering the, the little thing that showed the Squid Game uh, creator or whatever saying that he used the shapes in Squid Game because he's a fan of PlayStation. Yeah. And the reason there wasn't an X is because all systems share the X button, but he pres- he specifically likes PlayStation. <laughs> it's like, screw the Xbox. <laughs> so, like, screw Xbox and Nintendo. I don't want to show anything for them. It was just very interesting. So, yeah, I, uh, the second I saw that on like the little, bu- they do those symbols on little business cards. Uh, not really a big, um, spoiler, but that's 100%. I wonder if this is it. No, I don't know what this is. Hmm. But there is like a. Um, oh, this is. What is this? I can't stand videos that play in browser things. But um, but yeah, for those that are that, if you watch the opening of Squid Game, you'll hear it's the same. It's the same sound effect where you spawn into an area, like. It's a swing sound. Well, I will say there was a time where when Chris and I were doing uh, Hobbs and Shaw <laughs> for the movie podcast. Uh, midweek matinee coming back around very soon. Um, I swore and I still swear that they used the transformer like little sound yeah. during one thing and I went back and I hear it every single time and I'm like, dude, there's no way because they're not even owned remotely by the same people but you know. Yeah. So what, what I'm getting at is I think sometimes your brain may hear what it wants to. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that's interesting. Uh, I know Chris, you don't You'll end up buying the game and then never playing it. That's uh, that's just pretty sure I won't have to buy this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, f- you seem pretty confident there that I'll be buying this, huh? I'm not buying Elden Ring. <laughs> I don't like from from soft games. I know you don't, and yet 
you love Bloodborne. I should rephrase. I like every other FromSoft game, so realistically, this is the one that I'm gonna like. But you should, you should, <laughs> uh, you should play Dark Souls Three if you have. I beat Dark Souls Three. Okay, and he beat Bloodborne. Mm-hmm. Didn't like. I, I can play them. I just don't enjoy them as much as I thought I did. <laughs> yeah, every time. I don't know. I'm probably not gonna. And then what? Oh, I, I bought Mortal Shell. Okay, cool. <laughs> Thanks, man. Mortal Shell was before I'd come to realize that I just don't like them. I was, I was like, this looks awesome. I love these. And it is awesome. It's a very good game. It's definitely awesome to someone. <laughs> okay, next thing up. Uh, let's see. Uh, DC Fandom has come and went and brought with it new trailers for both Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, and Gotham Knights. Both trailers were story-focused, not giving much extra insight on gameplay, which still remains to be like a big thing of what are these games actually going to look like. We've seen a little bit more of gameplay from um, Gotham Knights uh, where we've seen zero gameplay from Suicide Squad, but... Uh, these the trailers showcase the court of owls coming into play in Gotham Knights, and our titular Suicide Squad in their trailer, kind of showing more of the action in play, uh, and affirming a twenty two a twenty twenty two release date for both titles. Now, here's two things here. First of all, I think both games continue to show Rocksteady have really good lip syncs. Like when you look at their character facial animations. They've always been consistently good for the time period. And both, even though the other one's WB Montreal, uh, the facial animation on Penguin in the trailer for Court of Owls stuff, surprisingly good. And then, of course, I was really blown away, even though it's technically CG trailers or you know video clips, whatever you want to call it, um, of like Harley Quinn's facial animations and whatnot. They looked really good. Um, big question here, though, for you guys. Did you watch these trailers? Yes. No. Okay, so Chris... Mm-hmm. Is, am I crazy, or does Suicide Squad look like it, it definitely has like the heart and spirit of Sunset Overdrive? <laughs> I can see it. Yeah, like the entire trailer, I was like, "This looks really cool," and it also reminds me of the way that they marketed for Sunset Overdrive, like song choice, stylistic placement of camera, while like slapstick humor happens and stuff. You know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I didn't. Suicide Squad didn't move the needle for me at all. Uh, Gotham Knights looks excellent, but Suicide Squad is nah. well. Still, frame problem there is I don't know what I'm getting into with Suicide Squad. Like it looks all right, but I feel like I just watched a movie trailer. If I'm being dead honest, I agree. Whereas I feel like because we've seen a little bit of Gotham Knights gameplay, and then it feels a little bit more like what we've gotten in the past. Not in a bad way. It still feels like it's moving the needle. And then, of course, Court of Owls are just sick, right? So you have this thing where I'm a little more drawn into that uh, as well. And it's funny because I would have thought the opposite. I would have thought that I'd be more into the thing that Rocksteady was doing, but I still don't know what they're doing. And I'm still trying to figure out, like, is this like you're talking about? Is this like a Justice? I mean, a justice, is this like a uh, Avengers-style game? What is it? You know, do you... Do you play as everybody? Do you only play as one? Do you play as people based off of what you choose? Like, I mean, do you choose to run gonna, through the story with one character? It's. I'm going to double check, but I'm 100% sure this is a live service game. So, I don't feel like they've said that, but I w- if, if they have, then that's good because at least it'll kind of move my expectation the right well, direction. Apparently, it was a rumor, but... Well, then we'll see if that rumor pans out. 
The rumor is Suicide Squad is a live service game and a timed Epic exclusive. So, so here's the other thing. I guess would you consider if, if while we're comparing the two, as I was a second ago, would you consider Avengers to be a live service game? Because some people don't think so. I it's, definitely would consider it's a hundred percent a live yeah. service game. Yeah, I think so as well. So we'll definitely see what ends up happening. I'm much like you, Chris. Right now, I'm actually a little more excited for Gotham Knights. We'll see what ends up happening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Court court of Owls is like an all-time. Like, you, we can talk about the Joker all you want, but the Court of Owls is the best is Batman. Awesome. The only, it is. The only reason I upvoted this in Discord was to tell everybody, to, to have an opportunity to tell everybody, go read Court of Owls. If you yeah, yes. That is one of, if not my favorite, Batman. Dude, what a sick special edition, too, where you get the Court of Owls mask. It's a shame that that mask is real flimsy. Yeah, right? It's yeah. like very a, well it's, made. It's, it's very thin plastic like you would get for like a child's Halloween mask. Yeah. But yeah. Still really cool design. <laughs> it is. <And laughs> if you like don't want to wear it. You for know? like 20 bucks, yeah. It's like it's almost free at that point. Yeah. Am, am I wrong in thinking that whenever they uh, did the new 52 Joker where he stapled his face back on, did they do a version of the a run of the comic that had a, uh, a Joker-like staple mask that you could get? Yeah, they did. I thought so. I yeah. thought I remembered seeing it. It wasn't New 52, though, I don't think. It was. Was that not uh, New yes, 52? It's New 52. Yeah, I Is thought it? so. Yeah. Yep. Which they're already off of New 52 now, but. Right? I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure they are. Yeah, they've already moved moved along again. But but yeah, it was um, Death in the Family, wasn't it? They came with a special edition thing? Yes. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Is Death in the Family considered New 52? There's two deaths in the family now. What are they? I, I, I hate DC so much. I love DC. He's dog trash uh, when but, they come to this stuff. I mean, it's just a retelling of the same story with the different characters. Like, it doesn't. Yeah, make I mean, some it's kind of like what happens if you put new characters in this situation. The whole idea of New Fifty Two was like similar storylines with new variations of characters you know. Yeah, right? and that was kind of like the spirit of it. Yeah, exactly. And then they went wild with what they decided to how they decided to to explain that whole thing yeah it was very odd but well they want 65 dollars for this i thing. know they moved off of it very quickly that's the thing like new 52 came and went i feel like quicker than any other new arc stone in any comic thing i've ever seen and mm-hmm. i don't know if it was because of flag because there was actually some interesting storytelling in there and like some interesting new ideas but there were some weird ones too. I mean, you know, even even uh, Marvel has their moments where everybody was like, "You made Captain America into a Nazi." <laughs> oh. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> hey, Hydra. There's only uh, I've only seen one instance where Captain America being a Hydra agent works. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. all right. Uh, next thing up in the news: Capcom is celebrating Resident Evil's 25th anniversary, and as such have seven more Resident Evil-based reveals for the month, two of which have already come, so there was nine total. Three are happening on the 21st, very close, two happening on the 22nd, and then one each for the 25th and the 29th. The reveals may not be huge, as the other two starting reveals were already filled out in there. Uh, of course, a competition to win Resident Evil branded merch. And then the second was just a reminder about Resident Evil 4's VR port. So I don't really consider those to be reveals as much as like, hey, remember that Resident Evil exists and please go watch it uh, or play it or whatever. I'm, I'm very likely expecting there to be a new trailer for the Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City movie. Ugh. <laughs> that's that's probably one of the two there might be something for the netflix series that we're supposed to be getting so if you just keep going down i would not have super high expectations keep them in check 
but you might get something interesting. I would imagine we're not going to see anything really interesting for Resident Evil uh, in like a, a big way from the gaming space until they're ready to show Four's remake. Uh, yeah, well, that's what I'm hoping for. They could do here. Yeah, they could. It would be really interesting. It'd be a um, nice capper. Also, even though it wasn't like a surprise or anything, I will say, dude, Resident Evil 4's VR port looks sick. Yeah, I'm it looking, looks really I, I good, I and I'm super bummed that it's exclusive. <laughs> yeah, for but now, maybe for now. PSVR too. Yeah, we'll see. That'd be really I, cool. I actually think Oculus might have paid for that, like paid for the development. I'm not sure how I read about that. Mm, well, if so, then yeah, maybe not. Who knows? <laughs> uh, Sony could just pay for their own development of Resident Evil 4 <laughs> VR PlayStation. <laughs> Please make another one. <laughs> <laughs> Please do the same thing, slightly different, so we don't get sued. I mean, you can't sue. I mean, who's going to sue? Capcom going to sue themselves for making a similar game that someone else paid for? Yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess could seek legal action. I guess if, if PlayStation can prove that they just completely did all new code for everything, even <laughs> if it played the same. Yeah. But we're not using fair. the code you paid for, you know? Valid point. Who knows? I'm not, I'm not really sure how legal situations like that work. But that's okay. Uh, I guess you could probably argue that it confuses people as to which version, you know? Yeah. Uh, anyway, so how are y'all feeling about uh, Resident Evil as a whole right now? Iffy. I don't know. Eight was fine. Seven's great. Two and three. Two is really... Two is one of the best games of last gen, probably. And then three four. is a solid. And three is a solid, far too expensive, but good. I do think that there was zero reason for three to be $60. Yeah, that... <laughs> That was insane. And actually cut content from the original game is the crazier part. I, I got the platinum in that in one sitting. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> crazy. That is insanity. Uh, but hey, you know what? Whatever. If that's what people want to do, that's fine. Hey, listen, All right, next thing three up, has Jill. Three, yeah, that's true. Uh, next thing up, Dying Light 2 developer Techland have taken to Twitter to respond to a user asking for Dying Light 1 to update for 4K 60 frames per second support on next-gen consoles. The official Dying Light page replied saying they are currently, quote, quote, currently working on a next-gen patch for Dying Light 1. More details coming in the future, end quote. So I'm assuming that relatively soon players will be able to revisit the first game or hop in for the first time with enhanced backwards compatibility soon. But at the same time, this is the same company that showed off Dying Light 2 like two years ago, and it's still getting delayed again. So, um... Do with that information what you what you will. <laughs> uh, Chris, you have anything about that? I know you're you're a big Dying Light fan, right? I think I saw you just reinstalled Dying Light One, right? I did actually just reinstall Dying Light One. Um, <laughs> literally because I'm like, well, if they're gonna do this, I might as well try and sync my trophies up to get two platinums. Um, ah, okay. I but gotcha. no, I love Dying Light one i feel like for some reason the news has caused me to say one of the best games of last gen multiple times but one of the last the one of the best games of last gen (laughs) (laughs) well hey you've now heard my top five of last gen yeah well there you go uh i never played dark light uh dark light dying light um but i don't know i've heard good things about it i remember seeing them kind of consistently updated i think if nothing else right regardless of how they've handled dying light 2 from a reveal to release standpoint uh dying light 1 was like that thing where it was kind of like revealed and released very quickly and then supported forever and i've i've very seldom seen games other than like no man's sky receive that level of support for an entire generation uh and that's impressive and they should be uh rewarded for that it's just yeah, they definitely they've had a rough time uh, 
Techland and, and sequels are just not where it's at, you know? Because uh, Dead Island <laughs> and then Dead Island 2, that still doesn't exist. <laughs> and that wasn't even them, right? But they started Dead Island, at least. Yeah, uh, one of them, yeah. Yeah, and then they move on to uh, whatever whatever this game I just said is. Why can't I think right now? Dying Light uh, 2. <laughs> yeah, Dying Light. But yeah, that's it's, it's interesting that they seem to have very odd they do great for the first game and then it's just like mm, okay we'll see what happens with the second um, next thing up Solar Ash Heart Machines follow up to the beloved Hyperlight Drifter was originally set to release October 26th so not far from now but it's now being delayed to December 2nd with the official statement saying quote we want Solar Ash to shine and we need a bit more time to get the last pieces of polish and bug fixes into the game end quote um, that's not a big deal not surprised but you know, and we continue to see that the uh, the pandemic is being a issue, and people worrying about getting things done in time when you have to constantly think about people going down if in case anything happens. So, kind of where we are right now. Uh, next thing up, though, unlike the Dragon Age we got going into PS4 generation, so Dra- Dragon Age Inquisition, uh, it appears that Dragon Age Four will not be released as a cross-gen title, but rather a next-gen and PC exclusive. EA seemed to be pushing toward this, if you realize, because Dead Space Remake also was confirmed for next-gen only, and I think they've said that Skate, the new Skate game, is going to be next-gen only, which actually leads me to an interesting thing, because Chris, you are, I think, a Dragon Age fan, right? I do like Dragon Age, yeah. Okay, and of course I know you're a Bioware fan in general. I am. All right, but do you see this as confidence in the game? and that it could actually be somewhat soon or do you think that this is just a result of the game being like a 2023-2024 game? Yeah, I think it's that because that's what I was going to say when you mentioned Skate. I'm like yeah, that might be a next-gen game like like PS6. Considering that it just started <laughs> development after yeah. they, like, I, I, what, six months after they announced it? We finally got the team together and we're making the game. I Great. can't believe they did that. <laughs> I can't believe they said that. Oh they, it's, they could not suffer one more E3 of people going, no Skate 4, you guys suck. <laughs> That's what it was. They've gone in, so far and tried so hard that in, in the, the end, end they should have just mind. never made the game. I was, I was going to say that. <laughs> but yeah, it's. I think that the big thing here is, I mean, I do, I appreciate the EA are coming out and saying this. I think every company should just go ahead and say, hey, this will be next gen only or this will be that. Uh, even if there's the thought process that the uh, the expectation should be there, to a degree, but like Dead Space, part of the reason that Dead Space is next-gen only is, of course, because of the fact that we're not going to be playing Dead Space until probably 2023, and we're probably not going to be playing Dragon Age until 2023. We're probably not going to be playing the next Mass Effect until 2024, if not later. So, you know, that's kind of where we are. It kind of sucks that news is such a way with gaming now, and I mean, we, I guess, feed into that some to where we know about a game starting development, before any real thing is done. And then it just feels like you've known about this game for five years, which is not uncommon. Games have taken five years to make in the past, but we know about them for the full five years instead of only knowing about them for the final two or the final one and a half. You know what I mean? I just feel like by the time we see Dragon Age 4, I'm going to be like, finally. (laughs) Yeah, right. That's just kind of where we're at with... I feel like companies are in this weird thing where they feel like they've got to get out and say something before leakers can right it's like Mm -hmm. if we can just tell people that we're making dragon age 4 then we don't have to worry about somebody leaking that we're making dragon age 4 right exactly 
That's kind of how I would see it, yeah. It's kind of hard to get mad at developers sometimes for being a little too early doing that stuff when you have to think about the fact that we're over here like, did you hear that this got leaked? Did you hear that this got leaked? So we we feed into that system some. Uh, next thing up, though, for the United States, PlayStation have made a website where users can sign up for a chance to be invited to buy a PS5 during restock next month directly from Sony. Users who sign up must have a PSN account get one console per PSN account and seemingly it doesn't guarantee a spot to first come first serve, but rather based off of quote previous interest and PlayStation activities end quote, which sounds like longstanding users with a history of being engaged with PlayStation (laughs) are being given favor here. If you are selected, an email will be sent showing the time and date uh, for your invitation. And of course the expiration of it for you to move forward with your purchase. (laughs) All right, Chris, what's so funny? Let's hear it. <laughs> I hadn't read that part of the quote, and that just makes me think like there's some dude who's like, oh, this guy has the platinum in PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale on Vita. He's getting a PS5 today. <laughs> <laughs> well, dang it. Too bad I've already got a PS5. I could stack up, boy. Holy crap. This guy's got Tokyo Jungle on his list. We got to give him one. He doesn't even <laughs> have to pay. Here's the thing. I would actually really appreciate that be the like that be how it worked. Yeah. Is that every someone who sends an email in, there's somebody who quickly scans the email like, whoa, this dude's this dude's got the Bloodborne Platinum. Yeah. This guy's got Mortal Shell Platinum. <laughs> this guy has the Platinum. Yeah, PlayStation All Stars Battle Royale is a perfect deep dig. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Exactly. All right. Well, they clearly love PlayStation. They why don't they have a PS5 yet? Let's help them out. <laughs> Our internal. Our internal numbers say this guy spent a lot of time playing Spike. We got to give him we got to give him a PS5 for his trouble. So, real question on this for you guys. I've seen some people be mad about this, right? Uh and say like it shouldn't be this system. It should just be first come first serve. And I there's clearly value in that. But Chris, like, do you think it's a bad thing that Sony's like looking and saying, like, "Hey, we're trying to cater specifically to people who are already part of the PlayStation"? No, and you want to know? You want to know why? Because for the last year and a half, we've been complaining about the first come, first first serve aspect of buying a PS Five. If that's what you want, now they're going to change about the scalpers. Exactly, they're trying to help you, and you're complaining about it. I don't understand. Yeah. And and that's the thing. It's like I get that. Like, right, if you've been an Xbox player and you're excited to jump into PS5, but you don't really have a history with PlayStation, so they don't choose you, okay. I, I understand. But for the majority of players and for the sake of business, Sony would want somebody who they've seen has a history of buying with mm-hmm. PlayStation so they know that when they sell them the system, it's not a dead end purchase. It's not they don't make the five dollars off the console that they make in profit and then you don't buy anything else. They're like, Okay, he's probably gonna buy two or three games a year, which means we'll make this much money off of this one console. Bam. Exactly. You know? It probably would have been better for Microsoft if I had never bought a Series S. <laughs> right? Like, I don't even buy things on that thing. I don't use it. So they would rather give it to someone who would. That's just the same thing here. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the nature of business. So it's to a degree, it's what you deal with. Uh, next thing up, after a swift round of legal action from Sony against the first company selling custom faceplates for PS5, 
if you remember, it was before the system even came out. Uh, Dbrand came on the scene saying their design being original should stop legal action from Sony because the last one was like an exact mold of Sony's, if I remember correctly. Uh, and then Dbrand, of course, dared them with a, quote, try and sue as tagline. Uh, for months now, it's worked. They've been available, available since February and sold out like really quickly. And they just came back around uh, after kind of coming back and may selling out again they're hard to get they're very hard to get uh and what's going on now is sony have issued a cease and desist to do to dbrand for their dark plates asking the company to comply instead of moving immediately into court to resolve the issue which of course is what dbrand <laughs> was kind of goading them with um so here's a, a, a big thing here i think two things is going on I, I try not to cuss too much in this, but I think there comes a point where Sony need to shit or get off the pot or they need to just stop worrying about people who are making something that doesn't affect their sales. And actually, I love the way that Dbrand went about this. Dbrand said this would be like a car manufacturer trying to tell you you couldn't buy third-party parts to replace something for either visual anything, aspects anything. or if you wrecked your car and needed a replacement part. It's 100% what it is, and it, it's infuriating because here's why. D brand, anything I've ever bought from them has been of the utmost quality. They are kind of expensive for what they are, but I can tell you right now, they have high quality items. I, I've been trying so hard to get one of these. I'm on a mailing list and I couldn't even get one. Yeah. They become available and within an hour they're sold out and more than likely or more, more times often than not, I'm at work and I can't immediately see them. They, they better come out with something great. For doing all this, because like, I want one so bad, just just to have, just to change, just to make it black. That's all yeah. I want. Well, like I was telling Saul yesterday, right? We were talking about this, and I think the weird thing here is that Sony would clearly have some intent of using this design. Otherwise, why did they spend the time making a design with removable plates, right? And if you're there, I, I tell you, I would have honestly thought that Sony would have had plates ready to <gasps> coincide with the release of the new DualSense colors. I would have thought that they would do that. It's, it's low-hanging fruit, but it makes the most sense, right? Hey, alongside the Cosmic Red DualSense, we have Cosmic Red matching plates. Mm -hmm. Or... Alongside the uh, whatever the black dual sense name was, we have black matching plates. Yes. And if you want to mix and match, then you can get a black controller with red plates or mm -hmm. a red controller with black plates. There's zero reason. And if I was them, that's exactly what I would do. Every controller color that you come out with, you get you do a matching plate. They're cheap to make, they're easy to put out there. And then guess what? If you really, at that point, I still agree that there's no reason third parties shouldn't be able to make the things. But at that point, if you want to tell me that a third party option is going to be sued, then at least I know that I'm left without zero options. What you're leaving everyone with who wants something like this is either to pay someone to customize their existing PlayStation and risk messing up the stuff they have or somebody to try and mold the things. It's, it's non-reasonable uh, alleys for this stuff. So that's kind of where I feel like we are right now. And I, you know, it's unfortunate. It's funny if you go to D Brand's website and you go to the dark plate section. It's it's they've changed it to now just all the articles of telling them with this that have Sony threatening legal action as the headline in there, kind of just showing you. And it's a lot. Yeah, and it's funny because they said like we're giving into the tyrants for now, but we may come back around. Are they? they I think they said terrorists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I, I don't know if they said terrorists. Uh, dude, I'm not, I, I was laughing they're, at the way D Brand handled it. They're, they're like, you either oh, live, you either you either die having a dark plate or live long enough to become a scalper. Dude, <laughs> they they have it's all marketing at the end of the day, but it's like it the stuff the discord they have between them and like Linus Tech Tips is hilarious. Yeah. I mean, it's smart way to go about it, and this is the kind of thing where, like, if they make enough mo- noise and get enough movement, then Sony's going to feel like a fool. But the thing is, is does Sony really care about feeling like a fool in the public eye if they're still raking in all that money? But that leads me to my bigger question: I don't see right now when they have no alternative on the market how this is affecting Sony's bottom line. Okay, at all. but hold on, I have I have a question about this. I don't mean sure. to be this guy again. No, go ahead. D brand. Mm-hmm. knowingly made a product that they could get sued over literally tagline it according to you guys try and sue try us. and sue us yep. now they're whining that they got sued no they, they, yes. they didn't get sued they got well, cease and desist and they're not right. whining really yes they're they just... are look at reddit all of this is complaining about sony all of this they're, they're well, complaining on. that no, no, sony's no, no, upset no, 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 no. is that people or dbrand i'm reading just, it just it's dbrand official okay. uh, wait are you talking about the main thread because I have that pulled up here, and they're dark they're plates are out. dead. Thanks, Sony. They're pointing out that Sony is telling them to stop, which they is that knew. Whining? By yes, when you're How? taglining, please sue us. That is absolutely whining about getting what you deserve. Sony is whining. I, I think that's know. a little stretching it. Because if you actually, if you read through the thing, they're actually they're pointing out things that actually are incredibly like helpful over this kind of stuff. And that's like lawyers representing Sony Interactive Entertainment. Naturally, there's a lot of things to impact, including consideration that Sony might want to send Netflix a SND over Squid Game for specifically stating that they use the symbols. Um, uh, uh, Ford F-150's rights to repair, speculation over Sony's upcoming product launches, and quotes from cease and desist that they've received. And they go on to list all those quotes, which has, now that's a lot of damage. Um, but th- th- this is, if you actually go through and read everything, this is 100% a well thought out post. They're and going yet they and, still and they, said, "Try and sue us." Well, that's okay. just part of their marketing. They, they, yeah, their, their marketing. <laughs> so, is, well, hold on, Chris, because I, look, I get where you're coming from in that, right? But I think the difference here is, like I mentioned at the beginning of the news article, the uh, the company that originally did it, it was an exact replica, an right. exact replica of the existing plate. The D brand one is not. It doesn't have the same matching texture as the actual PlayStation one at the bottom that I'm aware of, right? No, it's just it's literally it's a, it's a texture, so it's, it looks it's a similar. Matte, yeah, it's a matte black piece of plastic. Yeah, that right. just happens to fit into the play the PlayStation. Yeah, plate. but it actually has a slightly different curvature, different shaping. That way, it's not because the problem with the original one is that it was an infringement of a design of Sony. D brands is not. It doesn't have. <laughs> the exact, oh Somebody said thanks, D brand. They could get a dark plate, but they couldn't get a PS5, so they put it on their Xbox. <laughs> But yeah, I just, I mean, Chris, I get what you're saying when you're doing this. I agree with Saul. It's its clearly just edgy marketing. It's, that, that's, but that's this, it's also is. saying come to us. But realistically, I think it's that D-Brand doesn't want to deal with the fact that they could probably go to court and win this. I'm pretty sure they could. This is an original design. It doesn't infringe on it's what Sony's cost. doing. It's it, just that they don't want to deal with the legal cost of having to go yeah, and do that. It's the fact that Sony has the, the funds to be able to drag them through court for years and years and years on this, and they don't have that kind of that, that kind of money. It, it kind of reminds me right of this time, and this, of course it's not the exact, but it reminds me of a time where the game that's coming out, Pray for the Gods, that uh, is a Kickstarter game I backed on. Originally, it was called 
P-R-E-Y to the gods. And then Bethesda just came and were like, hey, little studio who has no means to do anything. We're going to tell you that your name, uh, the name of your game being Pray to the Gods infringes on, uh, it, it would con- confuse consumers into thinking that this is a sequel to our Prey franchise that we own. And Which so we're going to ask you to stupid. change the name. And of course, the developers have to be like, we don't want to waste Kickstarter money to go to court, even though we would very likely win, but you could drag us through court long enough that we would go bankrupt. So instead, we're going to use our Kickstarter money and and just change it to the squished AE symbol and go on about our day. You know what I mean? Sure. I don't agree with you guys at all because I'm reading this entire thing and they're literally talking about conspiracy theories, but it's fine. I get it. Oh, well, to be fair, I, I don't have the Reddit thing. As far as conspiracy theories go, this is much closer to Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself than the COVID-19 vaccine has microchips in it. Like I, that's just their edgy humor, though. That's I, just how they are. I don't care if you if, <laughs> should, I, if edgy humor doesn't make it right. And I'm but not they even saying like. they're doing anything wrong, but I'm saying when you go and you say, <laughs> come and sue me, and then they sue you, that but is your problem. Them. They're not suing. They're, they're not suing. suing. They're, they will sue them if they keep going. That's why they stopped. Right. Under yeah. threat yeah. of suit. Under you tra- cannot yeah. complain. Yeah. But you, actually, you, you can't complain. This. That's the whole right to free speech, ain't it? <laughs> that, that doesn't mean right. I have to have sympathy for you and I have to sit no, on this podcast and be like, this sucks for them. Oh, I don't think it sucks for Brand. I, I I'll be clear right now. I just don't. I just think that yeah. looking at it because I don't. I've never bought a single thing from D Brand. Yeah, ever. I, I, I like zero I, allegiance I like to that company because if you're going to buy a skin online, it's a toss up whether you're going to get a very cheaply made shiny terrible skin or you're going to get actually high quality. Yeah. Uh, Brett knows that if, if I have something like a handheld, I don't have it with this phone, but every handheld I've ever owned has had a skin on it. And I can tell you right now, if you buy a skin off of Etsy or Amazon, it's a gamble on if, if it's going to be of any decent quality. But if you buy one from Dbrand, it's pretty good quality. Yeah, I have zero interest in Dbrand. I just think that looking at what actually is going on, there's no real reason other than them just not wanting to deal with the legal costs. They would win this. Yeah, they're making good points about the way Ford is doing the right to repairs. They're making good points about the fact that Squid Game is using actual symbols through their thing, which is that's that's kind of up in the air. It wouldn't. It, actually, they wouldn't have anything. Any yeah, kind of I would even argue. Action. I think the problem with that is that they said specifically that they got the inspiration for PlayStation, yeah. but I don't think that you can necessarily be like a triangle is a shape. You can't own well, a. But you know I, I mean? actually, there's so a it's difference there different. where that's an homage. Whereas I know for a fact, because Collins talked about it, they tried to use the the sacred symbols logo in Hybroxia or Twin Breaker and weren't allowed to because of Sony. Well, yeah, because they're, they're, it has it's, uh, exactly that's what I'm saying. Having a triangle, square, and a circle on a business card, not in colors, is not. It, those are shapes. That would be like suing the guys with the put the circle in the circle and the triangle in the triangle. You can't yeah, do that. But here's, here's a slight difference between those two things, though, right? Is that Hybroxia was releasing on PlayStation and PlayStation yeah. saying, you can't release this game on our platform if you're going to put that in there. They could probably release anywhere else and then Sony could go, hey, cease and desist, well, change it's not this. An, and then it's not an Xbox it, either. Oh, exactly. But the, the point in general is that if they wanted to, they could have put it in the Xbox version. And then Sony could come to them and say, hey, cease and desist on that. We think that looks too close to our thing. And then Colin could go to court and he would very likely win. The only problem being that he doesn't want to waste the time, energy, and money to go to court just because PlayStation has far more resources to do that. So it, it's, it's a, that is a very similar situation. But I have no sympathy for Brand. I have sympathy for people who wanted a dark yeah. skin not having an option from Sony. I'm not saying that's, you should go, you should go feel bad for D-Brand. No, yeah, I, I don't think like, you guys are. I, I just find... 
what they're saying ridiculous. Like they're trying to make themselves look in the victim when they invited this on themselves in their taglines. I don't think they're trying to make themselves the victim. I think what they're doing is they did this on purpose, especially that tagline to bring a light of these problems that they are now like trying to work out and tackle. Like that's like the whole right to repair stuff, the whole like copyright stuff. Like it's, I think it was done purposefully to bring light to that. This is an issue that because, because of the original time they did it and got taken down. Now the new time they're, they did that intentionally. They're a business. They're not going to put out, uh, Sony comes to us without without thinking. They have lawyers on staff. Well, they yeah. know that that's not a smart thing to do unless they're doing it on purpose for some reason, which is what they seemingly did. Like the thing that you're talking about, and I actually think there might be something to that. And who knows? If not, then Dbrand had a strategy here. I'm sure they absolutely. Um, but this actually kind of reminds me, and it very it makes sense. It reminds me there was a British dude on some British talk show. I barely even know about this, but I just remember it got some kind of headline thing. He went onto a talk show and had, somebody brought up that he doesn't like single use plastics or whatever. And they're like, but here's a picture on your blah, blah, blah of you having a single use plastic bottle. And then he, and he walked out of the show, like got mad. I was like, this is ridiculous. This has got you, blah, blah, blah. And he walked out of the show. That wasn't a birthday, was it? And then the next day, the, the next day, he goes on the show and says, okay, this was something we planned in advance with the show. Not everyone knew about it, so that it would have some believability to it. But this was on purpose because we couldn't get people to look seriously at the issue of single-use plastics if we didn't bring drama to it, which brought more eyeballs to it, so that we can get more people to realize the issues of single-use plastics. And it was all a marketing stunt. And yeah. I could see Dbrand doing this as like, a, hey, we're going to use this because we want to bring light to the fact that the aftermarket customization market uh, for consoles is just is fraught with issues because more powerful companies are trying to lean their weight into something from people that could otherwise win if they had the matching resources. Yeah. That's probably what's going on. And I think that's reasonable. I mean, yeah, I think that clearly D brand is choosing a very interesting style of like, Hey, sue us. And then, the edgy humor stuff. I do agree that it, that all just seems like humor stuff, but Chris's point. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you invited all this, but it does kind of seem like they're saying like, this is just to bring light to something, but yeah, because like yeah, they, I have zero sympathy for D brand. One thing that you have to kind of like, in a way, agree with that a correlation is like this is what the first design was that got taken down. It's literally like it is a circle, a square, and a, and a triangle. It looks like a pizza, a cracker. It's all their own original design. Yeah, and it's like those are just shapes, and it's literally the exact same shapes that Squid Game uses on their business cards, and yet like there's an issue there, right? Like they got taken down originally for this. The only difference is this was being made to be put on a PlayStation product, which has no correlation to the symbols itself. That's their own original design. You could actually, it's part of a robot thing they have, which is pretty cool. It's funny because realistically at that point, right, if it's about worrying about what people do with on their PlayStation, have you seen people actually take the side plates completely off of their PS5? No. That's yeah, I've seen, I've seen people just have a blank PS5. They're like, yeah, I don't even keep the side plates on them because it makes it smaller. It looks hideous. Oh, it looks bad. But yeah, it's an interesting thing. I mean, we'll see what ends up coming around, but we're just in a weird spot with... Uh, with I feel like gaming is hitting all these spots where these legal issues have been worked out in other industries, and it's just coming to light in a more severe way. But 
We'll see what ends up happening. Uh, I think the last thing here we have for news is as a way to celebrate five years of PSVR, Sony are giving PS Plus members three extra PSVR games as a bonus starting in November, as they're wording. So that sounds to me like they probably would be parsed out throughout multiple months. So we'll probably get one in November, one in December, one in January. Uh, But they also may just do a couple weeks apart. Who knows? I'm also curious to see what games it ends up being. Uh, they put a list of the most popular games, and it'd be interesting to see if they try to pull from that or if they try to pull from other games that aren't as popular. Did you delete that? No, I didn't. Why? Where'd it go? <laughs> oh. Okay, my bad. I'm, I'm lost. <laughs> but, uh Yeah. So it's cool to see PSVR coming around, but uh, you know I'm at this point where as much as I love my PSVR for the times that I've used it, it's so frustrating to just pull it out and use it and try and hook it up. And then like Chris having issues with the connector, I've not used my PSVR in over a year now. And sometimes I lament that, but really I'm just more excited to get into one that's hopefully a lot easier to hook up, which is what it sounds like PSVR 2 is, and mm-hmm. way more robust in how it connects. Because there are times when you'd be playing and you'd be like, oh, this is really cool. And then suddenly you're like, uh, it's like calibration error. And you're like, oh, you piece of shit, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, it never got too bad, thankfully. But there were moments, you know? Uh, so anyway, that's the end of news, which means we're going to go ahead and run over into the community's take, which was not as hot here. Chris, did well, you have something you wanted to say? Yeah, I was going to say, I actually sent you a news item. I don't know if we want to go too into it, but a Sony investor says they have 10 to $13 billion to spend on acquisitions, and they're moving towards an inorganic strategy of building growth because so of Microsoft. That's all conjecture. I don't like that article at all. because I mean, it's... It's, a, it's, a, it's an investor who's saying this. Anybody who has capital could be an investor, so there's no weight to anything he says. He's not in investor meetings or anything like that. I actually was reading a Reddit article about how they broke down about how this is like kind of just all like, it's what this guy kind of wants, but like there's no weight to anything he really says. Because there's, there's no proof anywhere that they have that much to spend on, invest, on acquisitions currently. Well, it doesn't make sense, yeah, because they don't have a ton of cash on hand. But right, that's why I was like, I was like, well, I I guess that's why it would have to be investors, right? The funding for these moves would have to actually be being pushed in through advance from investors, since the company itself doesn't have the cash on hand in order to make these a reality, right? I -hmm. think I think that's how that would work, yeah. Yeah, so I guess if it's coming around and you're going to the board of investors and you're saying, listen, we need this much money to remain rep- uh, competitive so that you can actually continue to see gains from your investment in this. But even we then, need you to up your initial investment. What is that board of investors called for companies that do that? That have like, it's it's uh, majority shareholders who have that, but what is that called? Is, that, is there a word for that where it's like the... Um, the, the top 30-ish to 40-ish to 50 people that actually have that power? I would have just called the majority shareholders, which, I mean, I don't know if there's a better word for it than that. I thought there was. No, but that's what they're called, majority shareholders, board yeah, members. I mean, yeah, because typically as a majority shareholder, you have some kind of place on a board. Somehow, some way. Yeah, so, I thought this was more in-depth when I read it, but apparently um, I was wrong, so... 
Well, even like as a thought process, right? Kind of looking. I mean, to some degree, there's truth to the idea set forth in this article that to some degree you're going to have to start moving more quickly toward uh, uh, acquisitions because if you don't, the companies that have more money to make that are going to a slowly but surely lap them up, yeah. and you're left with either try to find who you can to acquire or try to build that talent out internally. And of course, it's always easier to rec- to <laughs> acquire. A company than it is to try and build one out uh, because there's so much like we've seen them try to build things out and it fall and we've seen Microsoft try to build things out and fall and I think Microsoft actually kind of got to the point where they're like it just makes more sense to go out and buy existing companies who we know do good work and give them budgets that allow them to do something uh, with us in a big way you know the big part here is what what do we see Sony really go after like what companies are truly untouchable and when when you get a company like Bethesda get bought out it kind of does start to shake you where it's like man maybe everything's to some degree touchable right yeah I think there's ones that just won't sell like I don't think Ubisoft will sell Ubisoft fought so hard to avoid excuse me that Vivendi takeover who? That I don't. Uh, whenever Ubisoft and Vivendi, like Vivendi, had bought up like large shares of Ubisoft, Ubisoft, and were trying to basically take over Ubisoft, and UB had to like go out of their way to try and get their shares back slowly but surely, so they wouldn't have to risk a company takeover. Uh, I don't think Ubisoft has any plans or wants or desire to be pulled in by someone else. So. If you look at like the sheer scope and size of an Activision, of an EA, and of a Ubisoft, I think those three may truly be untouchable. And they, unlike Bethesda, they weren't privately held. They were openly traded. So when you look at all those things, I think there's less of a reason for them to sell. I think Square arguably is getting around there. You can look at things like 2K and whatnot, but it still kind of goes through. It's like, what could happen? Like, you know, could we see smaller scale acquisitions? Like, if you wanted to argue, like, could we see Microsoft buy out all of the Western developers from Square? I think it's possible. I could see Square being like, yeah, screw it. We don't really care about Crystal Dynamics or any of these companies anymore. We're just going to stick with our Japanese stuff. Because sadly, their Japanese stuff is what's, or I say sadly, I mean, it is. But for Square, the Japanese developers have actually been the thing making the money this past generation. Whereas almost everything Crystal Dynamics has done has not really been like a huge Supplemental. success. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I definitely see the where it's coming from, but that's a lot of money. And that's way more money than Sony has. That's a ton of money. And that's not enough well, money either. He, yeah, I mean, depends on what you It depends mean. on your acquisitions, right? Because like, I, I would really argue that in many ways, Insomniac being acquired for $220 million or whatever it was is insanity to yes. some of the purchases that have been made from other things. True, but it depends on their their value at the end. Like, how much are they it's worth true. now? I wonder. It's true. How much do they want now versus where where is each company going to be I at? Think if you were going to buy current Insomniac, you'd be looking at one to one and a half billion dollars. I think so. as Billion? Yes, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I, I agree to that. I, I definitely think it'd be up close to a billion. I don't know about Spider-Man, one and a half. Wolverine, 500 employees. Yeah, the, irony, Plank, the irony that they bought that overdrive. They bought uh, Insomniac <laughs> after Spider-Man and its massive success is crazy enough for the deal they got. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I'd almost bet they got points on those games too. Yeah, like, hey, this is part of our move towards looking at acquiring you. Yeah, but I mean, in this article, they talk about how Sony last year had $44 billion total on hand. 
And quite frankly, for acquisitions or for anything? For just on hand money. Okay. Cash on hand for 2021 was 44.081 billion. I think what this looks like to me is them buying team, them going to Katakawa and being like, we're already 1% invested in you. We're just going to buy it, buy from. We're going to just do that stuff. That's Dude, what I it, think. If they, may, I, I like it, when we look at like smart acquisitions, I think Sony and From have enough of a relationship going far enough back that it makes a, it's a sensible acquisition. If they bought yeah. From, I would hundred percent believe that Blue Point would be doing the the sequel. Then I would one hundred percent. That would that would be the thing. That would make it. I <laughs> see. I would think it was less likely if they bought no, From. No, I would. Well, if they bought From, go, hey, you're ours from. now. You're making Bloodborne well, too. Well, no, that no, that's the thing. Is like at that point, well, it was a, it was a. It was Japan and from anyways, but they'd have Miyazaki on payroll. I don't know. I'm I'm telling you, man, it's gonna be Sony PlayStation, Bluepoint, and From Software. That's that's the trailer. <laughs> Another leaker has confirmed Colin's story, by the way. So that's three I, now. I hope you're right. I just don't think you are. I well, know. Hold on. No, 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 no. Hold on. You're not talking <laughs> about the Xbox leaker, are you? Yeah. If you want, no, disregard him. He I said don't care Wars about him. PC. He's the third person. But he said Bloodborne's coming to PC. It is coming to PC. One hundred percent. Let's get done with this. Let's get done with this mess. What are you talking about? Horizons on PC. Bloodborne is Blood, on PC. Uncharted is coming. To Uncharted. Bloodborne is absolutely nah. coming to PC. But they people have been, and this may be just this may be because they've been saying that for a thousand dollars, a thousand dollars, five years now. They've been saying <laughs> I raised the bet to a thousand dollars. But I don't on, even what, have a thousand dollars. That's how confident see, I am. Here, here's the problem you got with some stocks. There, you could you could cash out. Yeah, yeah I here's, could. The, here's the problem with all this though. Is like what like what time frame do we give this? Oh, for the bet. Oh, I have no idea. I don't know. Because because you because you can go to like twenty twenty six, and if that's the point, it's like anything can happen in between right, now. How, and how about we give it a thirty six month window? If if Bloodborne is on PC in a thirty six month window, what is what is y'all's bet for each other? That y'all are actually both willing to accept? I'll, uh, bet, I'll bet my car. I don't care. It's a hundred percent happening. What I'll bet my dad's car. You can have my dad's Durango. You can have my Jetta. You can have my parents' house because it's a thousand percent happening. I'm not worried about this <laughs> in the next all. 36 months. You better have you better yes. thousand percent have them. them I'd be willing models. to make a bet that it's coming by the end of the year. Like, dude. <laughs> oh, oh no! I'll take you on that bet right now. One born by the end of the year. You got two months, sir. Get, come, we'll, we'll have a very fun. Uh, Dude, Blood, game Bloodborne, though. Bloodborne, PS5 and PC. Wait, are you saying in Halloween would have been amazing? It announced. Been. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant coming to like if it's going to launch on. No, if, you know because if 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 Uncharted was day and date with that announcement, I would be more willing to make that bet. Yeah, but yeah, we'll, we'll have to this see. I hundred percent. I I don't have a problem obviously with any of this, any of this happening. Look, I actually thirty six months from now when it doesn't happen, Saul's just like Mister and Mrs. Figaro. Well, no, no, no. At this point, it's, <laughs> where's my house? <laughs> I, I hate to inform you that your son on camera said that your house. Your car. I, said, I never said I would. I said I would be willing. There's a big difference. I haven't shaken my hand on. I didn't even shake on the last bet. Here's what's gonna happen. I'll be like laying in a rocking chair at like 66. I'm like, still no Bloodborne two. <laughs> Where's the Bloodborne two at? I'll be dead, and they'll just be like, sucker. Still no Bloodborne. The, the day after Chris dies, Sony's PS22. <laughs> they're like, we for all the fans of the original Bloodborne. We are happy to announce Bloodborne 2. <laughs> Jim's Ryan's second child's kid. 
Okay, let's let's get on to community's take here. Folks. Okay, yeah, we're gonna hop over to the community's take, guys. Uh, and of course, as you may know, the community's take. If you don't know, here's your time. Is when we ask you, the community, for your thoughts on a question that we normally pose at the end of an episode to get your thoughts on it, either to push back on things that we talked about the previous episode. Typically, that's what we do, or some other idea that springs to mind. The one last week was based around. Um, Jim Ryan's gamesindustry.biz interview that he did and where he said that the gate that consoles put on PlayStation games frustrates him. And that's not verbatim, but it's definitely in spirit of what he said. Uh, how do you think this quote could affect their strategy moving forward? And what would you personally like the future of PlayStation to look like? Uh, we got a couple of answers. I noticed that ones like these are, they don't, people, people don't jump on them as much because it's a big question. You know what I mean? Uh, so we have Shafe Dog two four seven here over on our Discord. He says, "Here's your Shafe hot take of the week. Sony is planning on being a software publisher only by the end of this console generation. Oof. That is a hot. <laughs> that is a like that is molten lava take. Right I got there. crucified for saying the same thing about Microsoft, and that's actually more plausible for Microsoft. And it's probably yeah. still not going to happen, but it's definitely more plausible. But bold. Let's continue. He says, "Look at the devs that they have acquired this generation. They did strictly. They did it strictly to bolster their studio power. So when Ryan says he wants 100 million people to play PlayStation games, he means it literally. The difficulties in manufacturing the PS5 hasten this plan. So in about seven years, you'll see the PlayStation Studios logo popping up on Microsoft and PC even more. There's you want Bluepoint to remake Banjo and Kazooie? No problem. Who wants that? A remake of Jade Empire? No problem. No. You need those remakes ported to PC? Say hi to my friends at Nix's. Say hi to Each Bloodborne. piece of the puzzle has been placed carefully to make this happen. Oh, and I think they will leave Nintendo out. That's the most ridiculous point so of it all. So they're going to go everywhere yeah. and just be like, screw you, Nintendo. <laughs> Listen, if FromSoft gets bought by Sony, where's my... Where is my... Uh, oh. Look, you know why... Where's my Miyazaki-directed uh, Mario at? Look. You, <laughs> I would so kill look, myself. Here's your thing. <laughs> look, do you want to know the reason they leave Nintendo out? Deep-seated hate. From yes. the founding of the company. Oh, yeah. like, Very we will, Japanese. We will never forgive you <laughs> for not agreeing to use us after we planned on it and instead using Phillips. You backstabbers. That is exactly where PlayStation is here. Look, the thing is, I think, I say to tell you, <laughs> Richard, I think this is very bold. It absolutely I would be is. very interested to see if any of this comes true. I would I'm not trying to be a dick to dick to shave dog here, but I would argue this isn't even a hot take. This has gone from being hot to being so cold that it sunk the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were gonna say it's going from so hot to wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, so, Richard, I, I actually you know what? I could I could do an entire one hour conversation on what if this would happen. Man, I tell you, this is a big thing. Here's the thing: clearly, there is something going on, but you know what? There there is a little bit of leeway here, right? The one thing: the end of this console generation. What if this console console generation never ends? And that from here on out, we just keep seeing things kind of push on. What if there is no PS6? What if the idea of a normal console generation, kind of like Xbox has been saying, goes away, and even Sony does, and we don't really see that anymore, then technically you have a big window for this to come true, right? Yeah, I don't think that's ever going to happen, though. I don't think so either. But, like, you know, let's argue that Sony just says, here's the PS5 Pro. It's not a new generation. It's just like a mid-gen refresh. And then it just keeps becoming 
this refresh, 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 or they do the thing. Do you remember when there was a point in time where people were talking about the PS5 actually looking towards, and of course we know that not to be the case now, but looking towards being a, um, of course my brain is failing me right now, uh, but basically a system modular. where you, modular, yes, where you could be like, okay, hey, look, you don't have to buy a PS6. Instead, you buy the PS GX plus graphics enhancement for this system and you just slide oh. it in and it's automatically made to work with everything inside of this. I think I brought it up with that episode, but isn't it weird how that's the thought process for everything futuristic now? Phones? Yeah. And phones actually started it. Like the phone, you can actually buy a phone that does that. Kind of, yeah. sort of. It's still not ubiquitous across bigger companies. Right. But there have been ideas, like uh, even a while back, like right when we first started the show, a little bit after, they came out with the Essential Phone, where it was like, you want a better camera? You literally, there's a magnetic connector on the back, and you smack yeah. a new thing on, it connects, and it mm-hmm. sends that signal to your camera. It's a great idea, but you know, I think there's a lot of realities about the way that people buy things, use things, and manufacture things. There's a reason that consoles don't really do that as often. Like, why do you think we haven't seen the Nintendo 64 megabyte RAM upgrade really done more often? Yeah. You know, I I think the hard drive stuff proved that this will never happen because people are crying over Googling SSD with heatsink. You know, they're not going to, they're not going to Google Sony GeForce 78 PS5 edition. Oh, yeah, dude. It's not going to happen. I, I, I see now how, like, I attribute building a PC to adult Legos, and people are literally having pissy fits over a, a, a singular part of a PC build, yeah. let alone anything else. Yeah. I mean, it, really, what, what gave it away for me a long time ago while we're on that is the fact that when I worked at GameStop for, during the PS3 era and the 360 era, People thought it was just so ridiculous that you had to open your PlayStation for like from the side for two seconds and remove one screw to put a hard drive in. Yeah. They were like, Can you believe that they're asking me to do this? I'm like, dude, this is the easiest update you can do. And then for the people that got that, they're like, I don't understand how to put the update onto a hard drive so that I could then install the stuff. Really? You can't download a file to the only folder on a drive, plug it in, and it does the rest for you. Yeah, then, then there's no hope for modular systems because <laughs> you, have to account, you have to account for the lowest common denominator, and there's just That's people them. that don't <laughs> want to do it. It's kind of like how I always talk about when people ask me how to cook something, right? Sure. And people think that... It, maybe this analogy doesn't make sense, but it's working in my head, where, where I just go... I don't know. I Google it and follow a recipe, you know, and there are just people who are incapable of that line of logic. And that's why you can't sell a modular console because there are a portion of your audience who aren't going to be able to Google how this works. And they're either just going to buy a computer, you know, they're going to buy the wrong thing because they didn't look and then they're going to get mad at Sony. And why would they want that headache? Yeah. Same thing. Just look it up. You know, I don't have to tell you how to how to how to make freaking rice. Believe it or not, it's on the back of the box. It's the same thing. You know. <laughs> hey man, do you know how to make rice? Oh, yeah, yeah, the big secret about being a chef is following recipes. Can you Google? Okay, cool. Then you know how to make a bourbon glaze. Like it's not that hard. <laughs> and that to me is the same thing. It's just look up how you do this stuff. 
and that the people practice, don't want to. Those yeah. two things together get you where you need to be. Yeah, of course. Which I guess there is the argument to be made from people who are like, well, I, I don't think I want to do a practice round on a $500 PlayStation and a $400 SSD with a heatsink, but I don't think it's that complicated. Yeah, but like now there's, there's YouTube videos showing how to show do all you every this. step. You're right. I, I, could, I could replace my engine in my car if I really wanted to off YouTube. You videos. absolutely could. Like, I replaced my entire radiator by watching a YouTube video. Yeah. And I said, okay, cool. That's easy. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. So, Shafe, uh, man, hey, I appreciate the very in depth thing here, and I would be interested to see any of it come true. So, I'm, I'm glad you took the time to have a thought. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. So, Rude Days ninety three. He says, I think Jim Ryan is going to have PlayStation follow Xbox's strategy of having their games on PC and through streaming services. Streaming is where I really see them wanting to take off, especially in third world countries like Brazil, where it costs a full paycheck just to buy a console. XCloud recently launched in Brazil, and it overloaded the servers because of the interest in Brazil has in streaming. Uh, so, first thing I want to say here. Uh, when I worked minimum wage, guess what? A full paycheck would have been exactly what I had to spend to buy a PS5, and I wouldn't even have money for taxes. So that's still true in America, big buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to throw that out there. And that's if you worked 40 hours that week. Yeah, that's if I worked 40 hours that week, and uh, I did. Uh, and my paychecks were $4.97, um, and I didn't even pay for insurance at that point. So I've had it would only be worse now. I've had jobs where... Um, Minimum wage got me like $144 a paycheck because of the hours they give you. Yeah. So, you know, I'll kind of look at that. A full-time paycheck there. Ooh, that could still be the thing. But I do think bringing up Brazil is an interesting thing because consoles are very expensive in Brazil. Uh, And I guess what you could say is like a full paycheck for even not a minimum wage style job. Uh, And I could definitely see wanting those things to break out. But this brings me to a really interesting thing here of I, Sony always perplexed me in how they do these things. Sony has been first to market or at least first to the market in the console side of things for so many things they just back out of just to see other people do it. Like a good example is people are talking about, oh, well, xCloud uh, is working on being able to be played on smart TVs as an app. Guess what? In 2014, there were Samsung TVs and Sony Bravia TVs with a PS Now app that you Mm -hmm. can open and select any game you wanted to and stream it directly from the app with your controller connected to the TV through Bluetooth or cable. And now we're seeing people talk about that again in 2021. Like, and then streaming, okay? xCloud is like, we're going to have it to where you can stream your games to your phone. But not apparently, as I was wrong, thanks for Rude Days for clarifying, you cannot stream games that you own to your phone or any other thing on Xbox, just like PlayStation. You can only stream the ones that are part of the service, uh, which I think is stupid, (laughs) if I'm being dead honest. Uh, But that's okay. Uh, But with where we are right now, Sony Sony did the exact same thing. PS Now was fully available on phones in 2013, 14 actually, when it first launched. it was on small phones and it kept going. And then slowly you saw PS now just shrink. It went from being on more and more and more things to every year. It was like, we're going to stop supporting Vita. We're going to stop supporting phones. We're going to stop supporting laptops. Okay. We're going to bring PC back. And now it's just going to be PC and PlayStation four. Okay. I don't really know why, but we've seen them kind of come here. So I don't know. Do my question here is, are Sony going to go back and try something they've already tried again? Because I feel like they've shown us time and again that they don't really like doing that. If they try and it doesn't hit whatever number or thing it is that they want to be a success, they don't tend to try again. Uh, do you guys agree or disagree with that? I agree. 
it's yeah, where you see them try cool. try and try again like i'll tell you right now especially I think for if, failures i don't I, if psvr would not have led the, the vr market for as long as it did i see zero reason that sony would be like okay let's do a psvr too they would just yep. be like nah screw it yeah you know what i mean they would have never made vita if psp didn't sell 80 million units was there problems along the way and some issues with people hacking systems yes but it was still a success and Sony kind of looks at that and goes, okay, it reached a successful number in our heads. We're going to go forward. That really makes me wonder, do Sony really have the right leadership right now or the right mindset to go, maybe we were too early. We were too early to the show. Let's go back and try this again. And if we would have never quit, we may have been the head of this to begin with. Um, it's interesting to think about. It is. Uh, last one we have here, Josh Ayers. He says, I think it's just his opinion and means very little how PlayStation will act in the future, which is totally possible because not all things have to funnel specifically through him, but it clearly shows where he's going to be pushing, at least if he is a man of his words, towards the people who are fully capable of making those decisions. Chris, you had clearly something to say there. You want to chime in? For nah, not really. I was just going to say that like, he's the PlayStation CEO, so I think his opinion very much dictates how they'll act in the future. Mm-hmm. So I guess I mean, of course, there are people that can push him out as CEO if they don't like his style and what he yeah. wants. But at least in the current setup, if he wants to push and he stays in that position, that push can happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, his Josh's second thing says, PlayStation will keep doing what they are doing, which is games come to PC two to three years later, trying to sway people over to the console, just showing what games PlayStation makes, and they will do the same with mobile titles, like the Wipeout games for mobile, trying to bring more people to the console. Um, I do think to some degree that's what they've been doing, but I don't know if that lasts long enough. Um, that's, like, that's a genuine thing. I don't know. Um, and, and, and it... Let me say this. It doesn't last long enough to do what Jim Ryan says he wants, right? I don't, there's no way that you can keep the traditional console manufacturer ideology and move toward the hundreds of millions of people per game that he's talking about. It doesn't even happen on big games, right? I mean, like Grand Theft Auto 5 is one of the most successful video games ever. And it's the only, it's at a hundred, it's, at, you know, over a hundred million, but it's at a hundred million players. And that's not common. I think to some degree, Jim is talking about two things. I think he's talking about wanting PlayStation to reach hundreds of millions of gamers, but I think he's also talking about wanting games in general across the board to be so ubiquitous and and accepted by such a large group of people that they become like movies and music and all these and TV to where pretty much every single person does them to some degree. And that's not where games are at now. Games are very profitable, make a ton of money. But we're still talking about a cap in the United States of, you know, a couple hundred million players. I got a question for you guys. Sure. That might be part of this. Do you see a possible future where Microsoft walks up to Sony and is like, we want Ratchet and Clank on Game Pass. Here's a hundred million dollars. Sure. What about it? Do you think they would do it? Do you think Sony would do it? Yeah. Not for a hundred million dollars. I don't think so for a hundred million. For Ratchet? For Ratchet? Yeah, I don't think so. All right, fair enough. I'm just curious because well, because look, I think it, it, it's now rephrase reframe the question of through the lens of specifically one side of that. Right? If you if you ask me, uh, Xbox comes and says, "Listen, we still for some reason," and I say this as a big what if because we don't know right now. We don't have a lot of stuff. Let's say for some reason Microsoft, after all these big games start to hit and they're still not uh, consistently hitting nearly as hard or as big as Sony's games are, then Microsoft goes to Sony and says, 
is there any way, shape, or form that we can work on getting Ratchet or any of your other games on our system? And then Sony goes, I could see Sony potentially being like, you let us put PS Now on your on your system. You take a cut of the profits, and then we control it on our service, just like what we've always talked about, the inverse, right? We've always talked about Xbox's games ending up on PlayStation and by way of Microsoft making some percentage of the subscription costs. Mm-hmm. and then letting people play on there. I could see the inverse happening because I think Sony's goal is one of their games on as many things as possible. I don't think that that means that they want to do so with losing control of their titles. And it's not like they don't control the title, but they, it wouldn't be on their service. I think yeah. any way that it goes out, phones, TVs, whatever, is going to be through some way of a PlayStation-focused app that is designed for whatever thing that you're playing it on. Hmm. Fair enough. And I think I think that the amount can change and vary, um, but I think it also just depends on where they're at financially for that at that time. And if we're looking um, at that that article a second ago, if they got forty billion on hand, which is like a forty eight percent increase from the year over year from before, I don't think they're doing too bad right now. No, yeah. I'm more just curious, like what if Microsoft and Sony would ever do that? Because Jim Ryan is basically, if if what he's saying is true, then I think the best option is to be like, hey. Maybe it's not something like Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, but maybe they're like, hey, you want God of War collection? You know, mm-hmm. and it's one, two, three, and Ghost of Sparta and Chains of Olympus. And it's like, okay, we'll put that on Game Pass, you know, and then at the end of God of War 3, it has a stinger that's like, hey, play God of War 2018, an upcoming title, God of War Ragnarok on PS5. Only on PlayStation? Yeah. Or only on things that are funneled through PlayStation? Right, exactly. I could, I could kind of see that. I could see legacy titles eventually mm-hmm. going but i still think sony's ideal situation for legacy titles would be to run them through their own service yeah. as much as possible that was now always- i do think there's a higher chance of the inv- of, of it being you know the last 10 years and on you're only going to be able to play on ps now uh on whatever service you know whatever device you're playing it on but you could be like hey you can play Metal solid one two three and four or whatever it be you can play which is not sony let's let's go somewhere different you can play every ratchet and clank game up until uh ratchet and clank ps4 you yeah. can't play that one, but you can play Ratchet and Clank PS4 and Ratchet and Clank uh, Rift Apart on PS Now mm-hmm. on Xbox or on phone or on TV. Yeah, because that was always my argument for Virtual Console coming elsewhere. It's just, you know, you finish playing Mario World on your PS5 and then it's got like Mario Odyssey or continue, continue Mario's adventures on the Switch. You know what I mean? Yeah, I actually think that would be a really smart move that I'm assuming that there's reasons from legal standpoints or whatever why they don't do that because... I, my assumption is, is that Nintendo wants to be able to do what they're doing right now, right? They want to mm-hmm. hog that to themselves so they get more console sales. But that's also sticking to this original business model. Right. Make it to where the Switch is the only system you can play these on easily, and then people are going to want, want to buy Switch. And then you're going to make extra money because you're charging more money for the version of online that lets you play these games, right? So mm-hmm. then you kind of stack those two things together and you have people running to Switch so that they buy into the console, buy more games, and then that's the traditional console um, strategy at work. But if in this idea of what Jim is talking about, it seems like the idea is to try and find a way to supplement the traditional console market. And it doesn't sound like he wants to completely get rid of it, right? Like you talked about, it's, it sounds like it's going to be around forever, regardless. It's just how can they get to the point where maybe the console isn't their main business model, but instead it's just a, it's a, it's a core part of it, but you could still play all these games elsewhere under the PlayStation moniker. And, and then you get accessory sales, right? Because you can have it to where you can play it on here so long as you're using a DualSense. You have to buy a $70 DualSense, but you can play it on your TV. Every game that comes out, playable on your TV now. Maybe. Yeah. Don't know. 
Curious. Be fun. We'll be curious. It would also be curious to see if they start to do that, if they start, if they stop letting third-party controllers work on anything except for the console. Like, mm-hmm. if you own the console, you can use the NACOM controller. You can use the Razer controller. But if you're streaming on TV, you have to use the official Sony controller. Yeah. And they could say whatever they wanted to, right? Compatibility concerns. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think that Microsoft would be smart to do that, if I'm being dead honest. I think if it was like, hey, uh, we have the Xbox One controller or the Series X controller, then we have our Series X adapter that all phones fit into that you can buy and you have to use it to play the games. I don't think that anybody would really think twice about it. No, I agree. So anyway, I think that's um, the end of the community's take. Uh, does anybody else have any thoughts on what the what our listeners said? No, but I did want to kind of put something out there because we started doing something new. I just wanted everyone to know that I have been taking the community's takes and kind of cleaning them up and putting them in there. And I'm not trying to call anyone out. I just want people to know if, if they listen and they're like, that's not exactly what I said. Just because I went through and cleaned up some English to make it easier to read. I just wanted to put that out. I didn't want anyone to get like, oh, you completely changed the context of what I said. So yeah, I and then of course it gives it. it gives like Saul the ability to read ones from Facebook that he doesn't normally see. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's a good good setup. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate you doing that. Um, all right. So heading over, um, I guess now that we're done with the news and we're doing here, uh, Chris actually talked about an article from the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post. Sorry, not the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of talks about video game reviews and the headline in question is the video game review process is broken. It's bad for readers, writers, and games. Um, Now, I think the best place to start here, guys, would be to kind of get some semblance of what the overarching theme of the article is. What is the the article positing? I haven't read it. I think both of you may have, or at least Chris definitely has. Saul has an immediate reaction based off of the headline. I, I've gone through the. I've gone through it and glanced. Essentially, it's that uh, it goes. It, well, I, I'll just say it this much. Uh, quote: I played 25 hours of Far Cry 6 in six days between receiving the game and the embargo lifting. In that time, I cleared roughly a third of the game's map, though likely that amounts to less than a third of the game's story. Admittingly, I played a more uh, at a lot more leisurely pace than many other reviewers. He says in quotes, uh, or in parentheses, surely he could have squeezed in 50 more hours of Far Cry 6 if he tried. Uh, he frequently paused to work, eat, and exercise and attend other obligations. Uh, unquote. So that's just kind of a, a way to get to you, uh, a way to get to the, the meat of this article is that it kind of seems that it's saying that uh, with the way embargoes work and reviews work, is there enough time to play games in that is that at that point does that mean that the review if it's not played um thoroughly or if the game's not played thoroughly does the review matter stuff like that Mm -hmm. the the opening the opening question of the article is what's the point of review no less than to answer a weighty question of how people ought to spend their limited time on this earth well you know there's a lot to unpack in this because it deals with so many different things right it does it, it it First, it's positing the process of reviews, right? But the process of reviews and embargoes is very heavily tied to the state of how games have to release, right? Games are really hot. They choose a date and they're getting developed as close to the edge as possible, often put on the disc in a way with some bugs they know of that they're working on patching out on a day one patch. And that means that how quickly are you getting a version over to reviewers? So a game that's large, like Far Cry 6, in comparison to a game that's short and linear, like... Uh, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. That's a good example. 
these are two very different games, two very different links needed, and two very different things because one's open and has a lot more possibility than one that's closed and has a very linear story and gameplay sections. So if you go to send somebody to compare them, ideally in this situation, you would send a code for Far Cry 6 a couple of weeks more in advance than you would have for something like Ratchet. But it would definitely seem from looking at people who do reviews that more often than not, reviewers are roughly given about a week for most games to try and slam as much as they can out of them. Sometimes they get lucky and get two. But then you deal with this other thing, right? The rat race of trying to see how quickly can you get a playable enough version of the game for people to play for review that won't completely mar the review experience to where you end up with people reviewing the game more negatively than the actual physical release that comes down the line. And there's a weird sweet spot that I find in reviews where I don't want to say that I throw reviews out uh, like baby with the bathwater kind of thing, but I notice that I'm far more willing to wait on a game and wait on a review from someone who just goes, here's the situation at hand. I don't feel comfortable giving a full review. Here's my quick review in progress, and I'm still playing the game. You will get a full review of my full thoughts when I'm done with it. And you can either make your buying decisions and time spending decisions, whichever one's more important to you, time or money, or both, based off of my half-written review that tells you where I'm at and gives you my honest feedback now versus my full thoughts. You can choose which time you jump in and throughout a multitude of reviewers. I think the bigger problem is that most sites still do not seem to like the idea of a review in progress or not saying, hey, we're not ready to review this because of the fact that you're constantly dealing with competition from every other site. And if you don't put your day, if you don't put your review out on the day of, you run the risk of you not getting the hits you need to fund your site. And bam, that's the big loop of where I, at least my insides, uh, me looking inside from out, seems to be the big problem of all of this cycle. That's, that is the issue. It, it, I disagree with the headline of this article. And the headline is, the, review, uh, game, the video game review process is broken. It's bad for readers, writers, and games. Only because at the core of the problem with reviews, it is the culture around them. And I mean that is in, it is the culture of a game review to get the game, get it hammered out within a week really quickly, then form a thought process that's coherent enough to make an article about to put online. And that's not the way that it should be done. But at the same time, it's not the way that it has to be done. It's only the way that it has to be done for select individuals. I don't think that that has to be the case in, in, in a majority of the ways. And I mean that with, there are plenty of YouTube channels that get by successfully who don't publish reviews the day the game comes out. It's weeks later. Mm-hmm. And, and they're dealing with the same thing the websites are, just to, to throw it out there for people who may so, not know how that stuff works. The algorithm pushes channels who can get it out day one when most people are searching for it. It favors them. So waiting puts you at an inherent disadvantage but it doesn't mean that you can't succeed. Yeah, and sometimes these people don't even get the games before the embargo list. Some people some, buy them privately. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I have a. We've talked about reviews before um, in an episode years ago, and my stance is pretty much the same. I think that there is definitely some like behind the scene. I don't want. I don't like using the word crunch anymore. But behind the scene crunch that people have to do to get things <laughs> out. And in that case, <laughs> what? Yeah, come on, Chris. I just think it's hilarious that game industry journalists whine about crunch and they're probably the worst about the crunching. worst crunch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? He's saying that the you know there was a large group of the games uh, 
media industry who decry crunching while taking part in their own crunching. Oh, oh, I see. Okay, significantly with, worse within, too in a within lot of their ways. within their own industry. Yeah. yeah, it's like, hey, you got to uh, play Far Cry Three in three days. Good luck. Yeah, well, and I think that that's that's like I said at the core of the problem of all of this is that that's the culture behind all of this, and there are plenty of better ways to figure this stuff out and, and to go about doing it. And people have found it too. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think, and I've talked about this before, reviews are done with two different things in mind. One, you are a fan of that series and you're curious to how this game is going to lead out to buy it. Or two, you are a fan of the person talking about the series and you want to hear their thoughts on it. Yeah, even if it's, a, if it's a game you didn't know much about yeah, prior and, to it. And like, or even like, like um, Colin Moriarty, we'll use him as an example. Let's say I love him. I'm number one fan of Colin Moriarty in the world. I want to hear his thoughts on Far Cry 11, right? I may not, I may hate Far Cry, but I still want to hear what he thinks about it just because I'm a fan of Colin Moriarty. Mm-hmm. And that's how this kind of ends up working. I, I would often, I, I'm often, you know, curious. Who goes to IGN the day a game comes out and looks at a review and says, I don't know if this game, if I want to buy this game, I'm going to read this review at IGN to see if that's, if I'm going to do it. Who, what is the actual percentage of people that click on a review that have that thought process in mind? The thought um, process of, is this going is, to change my am opinion? Am I going to buy this game day one because of this review? Yeah. Well, and, I think it's people who are a little bi-curious. <laughs> 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 They're tallying up different reviews to, to that, get there. That's, a, that's an arrested development joke right there. To get there, um, you could turn it into a Scott Pilgrim joke by saying that makes me buy furious. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, like I think that you know, there's there's been times like where I've been iffy about a game, and I go to like ACG. I actually like him and I respect him for ACG's his uh, opinions and stuff like that. Then skill up, I 100. percent the skills yeah. probably my favorite person. Uh, ACG was wrong on Days Gone. Hundred uh, percent. I don't. I, I don't remember. I don't remember if I watched this Days Gone thing. That's the but only anyways. time I've watched a review and be like, this. This is not indicative of this game at all. Yeah, like, I've disagreed with him before, and be like, it's still indicative of the game. This is true. Well, anyways, <laughs> um, but I think that like it varies from person to person. And for me, we talked about this before the show of like I, I, me and Chris have talked about reviewing games personally. Uh, in different ways too, uh, writing vocally, stuff like that. And for me, it's like I'm doing this as a discussion on how I feel of the game, not to sell you on it, not to um, mm-hmm. persuade you, but it's it's simply because I either did not like the game and I like the game and I have an opinion on it that I want to talk about. It doesn't. It's not even indicative if it, if if the game's good or not. Sometimes games are incredibly bad, and I'm just like I don't even want to see this game ever in my life again. But as a reviewer, if I was being paid to, you have to give your opinion on why that is, right? And you're paid for that kind of opinion. The one thing I have a problem with this article at the, at, at the same time is the thought process that this person has about the way he reviewed this game. He got this game six days between the, the embargo lifting. Right, that's that's a, that's an extra day on top of a work week, and he only played twenty five hours of it, and then he says, "I played at a more leisurely pace." You made this a problem for yourself. Are you, no. are, if you're a game reviewer, 
Well, no, no. If you're a full-time game reviewer, isn't that your job to play this game and to get it? And and if you got it to make a review, assuming he did, because he he had the copy before embargo, a full work week and a day. He, but he he played it at his own pace. He even admits it is a leisurely pace, and then complains about not getting enough done. Well, okay. So uh, this actually goes back towards the thing, and this is this goes back towards what Chris was talking about. Is it complaining to just make a statement? Because Chris posited that D Brand was complaining by making statements about the situation. This whole hand. article spawned from this, and this so, right and this here whole article is a complaint on the review system. So yes, this well, it, it's itself, a criticism. There's a difference between a complaint yeah. and a, or, or a whine, I should say, because that's kind of that's kind of at least how I took what you said when you said complaining uh, is more of a whining. No. Where I think criticism is different, right? You leverage criticism as this is an, this is an inherent problem at hand but I don't have to be coming at it from a whining situation, I which think I think a, is true. Of the I don't think a complaint is a whining situation. Well, and I, yeah, I think that's a different yeah. difference per person. I, that's how I took it. I, I think a that's complaint, I a, I think a complaint and criticism go hand in hand. They could be something that could be addressed to be fixed. And okay, that's what yeah, he's trying enough, to do. Fair enough. But the problem is, is that it seems like the thing that could have been fixed is just the way he played it. Now, he right. does make a good point. Oh, go ahead, Chris. Well, I was just going to say, isn't the point of his article that he shouldn't have six days to get through a game because I'll say it, I know Colin said it, so I don't want to sound like I'm cribbing off him, but you, nobody plays games this way. No, they don't. Uh, that's what I was about to say. If anything, I actually appreciate this article because he is actually saying the way I would play Far Cry 6. Yeah. In, a, in one week, I would maybe get to 20, and if I really heavily played it, 25 hours in one week. The and pro- that's exactly what he the, did. The, the problem is, is that when you are a website-hosted reviewer sure. from IGN, GameSpot, whatever it is, you don't have enough time in the world to play games at the pace of a normal person. You are not a normal gamer at that point. So isn't that what he's positing here? That's is the that the, point, the yeah. issue is that the way that the review system is currently structured doesn't actually There's, allow people to review games in a way that would be similar to how a real consumer would play them. And so you're getting a hyper version of a play experience that may alter it negatively or positively right? in a weird way when the normal consumer wouldn't do that. But that's that's the point of that I made earlier. That, that has nothing to do with that. That's culture. That's the culture of them having to crank out reviews. Yeah, it's the culture it, of the review process currently. Yes, and like, but that has nothing to do with the way this kind of review system works. How would it not? Because anybody can play Far Cry as long as they want. He could take three weeks to play the game and then pump a review out. He doesn't but have only to, if he gets the code long enough ahead of time for him to do. He that. doesn't. Who, who says he needs the code? There are plenty of people, like I said, Washington that are successful. Post, though. That sure. But but why do they need a code? They're Washington Post. They're not IGN or GameSpot. Right, but th- th- this is the point that he's making, and that I think me and Brett are kind of on the same page on, is he works for the Washington Post. The culture of game reviews says on October 6th, he has to get a Far Cry 6 review out. And Ubisoft sends him Far Cry 6 on September 30th. Right. That inherently puts him in a situation... I don't think he's saying... I. I didn't do my job properly. If anything, he's he's telling you he didn't do his job the way it should be done. But what he's, well, he's saying, saying is he did his, his job. Yeah, yeah. His job, his job is a is being done in a way that doesn't help anybody. I don't think someone's opinion on playing twenty five hours in six days of Far Cry Six is valuable because I don't think that that's a real experience. Because I could tell you if I spent, I love Death Stranding, game of the year. If I had played my fifty hours in a week, I would hate it. I would too. So I think that's the point. And if that might be big so. Do you message him? Yes. I just said we're we're getting close to wrapping up, but that was like ten minutes ago. I think he took that as come over now. That's fine. But I, he didn't text me back. 
Um, Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. No, I, I just think the article, while I don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying in the main, I think in terms of what the article is saying, it kind of proves his point, right? Is like his job requires him, no, no, October 6th, this Far Cry is coming out. My review needs to be done. I need to get through the game. And I don't think that's a valuable opinion. It's valuable in the sense of like, hey, I'm on the fence and IGN gives Far Cry a nine. All right, I'm going to pick it up. But I don't think that tells you anything about the true quality of the game because it doesn't tell you is this going to stick with you in a week am i still going to be score hunting in returnal is it does the next update break it you know what i mean like a review especially a pre-release review i think which is a huge problem right now is a pre-release review is not even really a review of the game that you're going to play it's yeah, a because review of the, the game you patch. hope you're going to play. Yeah, and that's now that is an inherent issue in this in the industry that needs to be gone. Like that should never be a thing. Yeah. Um, but I think though that like if, if I had a job, then and this is seemingly his job. This is the whole point behind this. If it's not, then this is a I'm, I'm completely have a massive misconception. Of I this mean, article. I checked. He reviewed Far Cry Six for. Um, Washington, Washington Post. Post. but I okay. will say it's a review in progress, and that's good that they allow them to do a review. In progress. Yeah, that is true because I, I think that there are certain websites that actually say, "Hey, we, we can't let you do a review in progress." Though I think most sites are kind of warming up to that because it still gets you your your um, search engine optimization hits for the re- release day because you have something out that says this and people can read it. It just, I, I think, going back and and maybe I really do want to read the whole article. So I'll, I do want to clarify, we're talking more of something that we're coming up with ourselves that is stemming from a very small section of this article. Yeah. I cannot speak to what this person is actually writing and saying and what their even thoughts are. But from kind of the idea and the, the, the thought process that we're going through, right, the thought experiment of what are the issues that we three see with review process and can they be changed and how should they be changed, Um I think that there's personally a big push that could be made across the board to give more time to reviews so that they can actually be a real experience because of the fact that I've read plenty of reviews that I just, by the time I play the game, I don't agree with them at all. Mm, and yeah. I feel like most of the time that comes from the way in which these games have to be reviewed. Also, from the way, like I mentioned earlier, the the way that games end up getting to reviewers because of this rush process that we're in, right? Like a, a really weird example of a game that was done way before it needed to be done and it just got held because it was releasing with something else was Ratchet & Clank PS4. And that's a game that had a really great review process because they had codes sent out way early. People could play it at their own leisure. It was just waiting for a movie. The game was in great shape, zero bugs, zero issues. Then you have games like Days Gone and Cyberpunk that are coming out in almost unplayable states. And then these reviewers are having to try and muck through what is likely to be fixed try to avoid that from painting their opinion too much so that they don't just end up giving a game on day one this thing of yeah this thing of just hey we're going to uh, we're going to give this game a four because it's super buggy whereas if the game released like that and stayed like that forever then that's a true four right. you can't really do that right mm-hmm. so it's it, it, like with uh, cyberpunk they gave it all a nine and then once once it came out and people were bitching that's when it changed yeah so well, I mean and, and what's interesting about this too is here's a problem that can be fixed. He reviewed the game, right? Mm-hmm. In the article, he says that, quote, I played at a more leisurely pace than other reviewers. 
surely I could have squeezed in more or 50 more hours of Far Cry 6 if I really tried. I paused to work. So evidently his full-time job is not reviewing the game. So that, that's something that could be fixed there is having more time dedicated in the career space to be able to do this. I, I think that if a game reviewer is a game reviewer and they are supposed to hit these deadlines, what else are they working on other than other reviews than they need to be pausing for? Because at that point, it's like you have me being a pizza delivery man and a head chef at this restaurant do I have enough hours in the work to do to, in the week to do this at, at a seemingly no schedule pace? Well, you, you know, right. kind of what, what, while you're looking at that, I think an interesting thing, and I'm actually not the normal person for this, right? I normally play one game at a time. Um, so kind of what I'm asking for, if I was in this position, right, if I was working this job, what I'm asking for for reviewers to have a more normal way of playing games so it's true to it, I don't like playing other games between other games, but it's also because I work. Maybe I'd feel different about it if this was my full-time job. Hard yeah. to say. But... For me right now, it would seem like that would be the thing. But, you know, for most gamers, I feel like most gamers actually do juggle a few games at a time. So if it's more that, hey, we give you three different game codes, three weeks in advance for each one of them, and we let you play them at your leisure however you see fit. And then, of course, they have to have time within all this time to actually write the review, edit the review, make sure all that comes together well. Right. Then uh, take notes and stuff like that for things that you want to come back into. There are things that add to time, but I do think in an ideal review situation, that would be the that would be what you would do. You'd yeah. be able to have one person do multiple reviews, but you give them far more time to play them, far more time ahead of time to get the codes. Uh, but a lot of that is predicated on the games industry really moving back from this idea of you've got to get a game hot off the press and out onto the things as quickly as possible. Not to mention if he is the only person on this website that does this and ha- how many games a week come out, or at least within sure. two weeks, yeah. that is... And I doubt he is for the Washington Post. Yeah. But it, it, it's a good thought process for very small websites who do only have a couple of people. Yeah, or like single individuals like ACG or SkillUp or Colin. They all work on these games, and if there is a week... Like that tends to happen in like November and February and March, where a month is packed. It's like that's a lot to like have to play through and get through. But the only issue with you know something like this is is I'm not disagreeing with what he's saying. I'm just saying that there are ways to fix this, but at the core, you have to fix the culture behind it. Yeah, and that won't get fixed unless stuff like this gets fixed. It's like a cycle. It's a vicious cycle that unless the website culture gets fixed, the embargo culture is not going to get fixed. But you have to fix the embargo culture to fix the website culture. That's not going to get fixed until people stop clicking. Well, people won't stop clicking until you stop putting things out day one. So it's this cycle. like It's all See, these dominoes that have to be kind of fixed at the same point. Slow down there, Dane Cook. We got it. <laughs> that, was, that was a dumb joke. You're good. I don't, I don't know what you mean. There's a Dane I, Cook special called Vicious Cycle. Oh, that's a very <laughs> dumb joke indeed. I would argue that the bigger issue beyond anything else is that these websites don't have personalities. And I'm not willing to wait on an IGN review, but I am willing to wait on Carrick's review. Or I agree with that, actually. Yeah, I agree with that a lot. To me, and I think to everyone, and maybe this this isn't fair, but I think their fault, not mine, is that these are faceless corporations. And that's why you get the whole, you know, IGN said this about this game, and then IGN said this about that game, and it's hypocritical. Even though if you pay attention, it's two different places, it's two different people. But I don't know who these people are. That was yep. the big thing when you noticed the shift when Colin, Greg, Nick, and Tim left to start kind of funny in IGN, where at that point IGN was all personality based. And I knew those guys and I knew who they were and I followed their lives. And 
I respected everything they'd said. So if a Colin review of a game came out a week and a half later, I would have gone to IGN specifically for that. But I'm not going to go for whoever the hell is writing in the trenches now because I don't know them. I don't care about them. Yeah, and, and actually, there the are game. a few people who I really do still like their reviews. I like Jonathan Dornbush's reviews still for the most part. But you're right. It's it's few and far between in comparison to what it was. And and this is indicative outside of uh, game media, right? This is mm-hmm. even true of Sony when people were lamenting the fact that the PS4 era started and it was all about PlayStation having faces. And then halfway through PS4, it was like, no faces, please. Just, we don't ha- we don't let our people talk on Twitter. We don't let them have a personality. And that thing that thing is a little less true of the media. Thankfully, the people have personalities outside of their day to day work. Uh, but yeah, you're right. There's definitely for these bigger corporations, and it's, it's it's harder to put a face to it. But there's also this idea. Have you ever seen when there's like reviews that do two different? Like there's two different styles of reviews to me. There's reviews that are more uh, op ed pieces. And all reviews should inherently be op-ed, in my mm-hmm. opinion. I, it really should be about you letting me on your world of how you view this. But have either of you ever read a review that the entire time you're reading it, you're like, this is just a review. This is fact. This is basically, no. this is what the game does. This is what the game does. And they seldom ever put opinion in it. There's a few people that do that. And it's far more efficient. It's not valuable. Is it, is it valuable? No, not at all. No, that's just marketing. Yes, yep. exactly. And, and that's, I've seen a few reviews that are like that. And I'm like, I'm not, I can't say for sure that it is, but it sounds like someone paid someone to say these in words. In this day and age, that's what, because it's fact. That's what well, gameplay videos are for. We had like uh, just pure gameplay videos. Yeah, true. So you could do that, make your that determination yourself. I mean, we had a, uh, a leak on that gaming rumors website of the Far Cry, or not Far Cry, Crisis Remastered review guidelines. And it's yeah. really like, talk about how great the value is. Talk about how you can buy the game separately. Like, it's just ads. But that's what the thing is. That's what all of these are, are ads. So you'd think, you know, at least uh, to me, a day one review is just an ad because you're not yeah. telling me anything. I would much rather read or watch a 20-day-old, a three-month-old, a six-month-old, a one-year-old review from somebody that is a one-hour video, 45-an-hour video, or 45-hour, 45-minute video than something like that on day one, week one at all. Yeah. Because I had a conversation with my buddies last night where I literally was just like, hey, if anyone's curious, Far Cry 3 is mediocre. I don't really recommend it. And yes sorry and that that is more valuable to me than any single day one review that you could possibly have is knowing that i've played it and just, just don't like it very much whereas and your friends know is, you exactly you're you're a face to your friends yeah that one sentence is more valuable than the entire review for certain people yeah right and then i can even say hey listen the only ones i haven't platinumed on ps4 were five and um new dawn so take that for how you will you know and I don't think I'll finish this one. So it, it's all the context that I can give, you know what I mean, that makes it more valuable as someone who's played than a day one person who I can't, I don't know their face. Sure. All right, guys. Well, I think we're going to wrap this up. Uh, it's been an interesting thing. So the community state question, of course, is what value do you see in reviews? Uh, the review process as it is, do you think that there's any changes that should be made that you think would make reviews something you'd be more likely to uh, partake in or that would make more reviews as a industry-wide thing, something that's more valuable as to a handful of reviewers you may see right now? Uh, but, of course, we'll ask that on all of our social media. You can find us over on Twitter at TriangleSQRD. You can find us on Facebook in the group Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. And 
And lastly, if you want to support the show with more than just your time, which we're always so thankful for, you can head over to Patreon, uh, Patreon and give as little as a dollar per month over at patreon.com slash Nartech. Uh, so we also always shout out our patrons who allow us to do this show without digging into our own pockets. Thank you guys so much. And we will see you guys next week. Thank you jo- guys for joining me. Thank you all. All right, guys. Shout out to our patrons, Ham and Ecker, Bailey Robertson, Rob Warpoint, Josh Drago, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Richard Schaefer, Rude Days 93, Joshua Lago, Landis, Zachary Sawyer, Kevin Bacon Bits, Luke Rabbit, Danny Villiobos, Solitary Red, Chihuti MD, Sean, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Corey Hickerson, Constantly Kenny, Matthew Green, Sean Santarude, the Stonard, Josh Jarrell, Stephen Salazar, Shadowist, and my name is Dan. Go Red Sox. <laughs>